You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. The Boss Hog of Liberty podcast is the latest hit on the We Are Libertarians network. Each week, Jeremiah Morrill and Dakota Davis explore life in Henry County, Indiana. It's a show about our circle of friends, public officials, and our experiences. 80% observation, life, humor, and 20% politics. Boss Hog of Liberty is the day-to-day happenings of Henry County, Indiana, which is just like your community. Add us on iTunes and sample us today. Dear Leader would want you to. Hey there, Liberty lovers. This is Mark Clare of the Lions of Liberty podcast, where we strive to bring you great conversations about the ideas of liberty three days a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Check us out at lionsofliberty.com. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton. And if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow Podcast, striking the root every single episode. Hey, Liberty Rockers, this is Johnny Rocket from the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. Each week, I strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, economists, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check it out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com or find us on iTunes. Each show is action-packed, explicit, and a lot of fun. So join me at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com every week for the newest episode. Keep liberty alive and rock and roll. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. I am your host, Chris Spengel. We bring you all of the irreverence modern politics deserves while putting people before political parties. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective with the goal of leaving you better informed. Please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and subscribe on Patreon at WeAreLibertarians.com. In exchange for supporting our program, we give you all kinds of bonus content and free stuff, including Low Key Wall where you can only listen to Loki Wall on uh, the Patreon feed. So you basically $5, $10, $25, $100 a month, you get a private RSS feed. Uh, and there was there's 15 extra minutes on this show that you, you don't want to miss the pre-show. If you're not a subscriber on Patreon, you're missing out. This show is crowdsourced, so you can send us news with the hashtag WALnews or in our Facebook group and Discord channel. We are always taking your questions and comments via email at editor at wearelibertarians.com. Please be warned that this show is raw, unedited, and authentic, so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. We're messing with your mind. It's a Thursday, but Harry Price is here. Harry, how are you? Going good. I'm going good. It feels weird being here on a Thursday. I was like getting dinner ready. I was like, I've got nothing to do tonight. Oh, crap. I've got to go. <laughs> <laughs> You've brought your brother. Yep, yep. Reinhold. How are you, Reinhold? I'm doing well. They let me out of the basement. Yeah, they have a low-key wall basement. 
<laughs> is there a low-key wall basement? Yeah, yeah. The, the low-key wall is the basement of the We Are Libertarians Network. Uh, did the, 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 We Are Basementarians? Yeah, We Are Basementarians. I actually have a logo that you could use if you wanted to change it to We Are Basementarians. <laughs> I have a logo. Seriously? You got a We I Are Basementarians? Oh, man, why you said I would have just been calling it <laughs> We Are Basementarians the entire time? Because Greg and I were talking about doing a second show at one point and calling it We Are Basementarians, mm-hmm. and so I had uh, PJ, who did our uh, all of our logos, Yeah, uh, the guy who... Uh, does all the Bob and Tom stuff, and then he he graciously donated his uh, talents to Weird Libertarians, the Chris Spangle Show, mm-hmm. Upward, these beautiful-looking logos. Those are him. The crappier logos are me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I did, like, the Brian Nichols. I did the uh, mm-hmm. Miranda's World logo, all those. Mm-hmm. Those are less than. But he he he's the one who did the new Liberty and Chill logo, and then he did a Weird Basementarians. I've got two or three varieties that I'll show you. Oh, it man. would be kind of funny. Yeah. Oh yeah. Heck yeah. Especially when we get done uh, moving low key wall to like a different day, and then doing we are base materials and do different stuff because there's so many different things that I really like to do and experiment with low key wall, and that's why I really like doing that show now. That's right. what really makes me happy because it's so free form. It just allows me to do things instead of the. I don't say like the wall shows on Tuesday, Thursday, so rigid. It's just, you know, it's got its formula and it's, right. you know, and it's your show. These are your shows. Yeah. You know, it's, it allows me to create and I'm really not out, you know, really wanting to start a podcast up. I really just like helping dear leaders get the uh, wall network to grow. Yes. Which is why Harry is deputy leader and my dear, dear friend. And his birthday is on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. day after Hitler's birthday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Tonight is 420 Eve. It's yep. four nineteen, so please leave your cookies and milk out for Gary Johnson, <laughs> and he'll be by your house. He'll be up your pipe, and uh, if, he, your if pipe. he doesn't forget, if he doesn't forget to deliver your uh, your edibles uh, yeah. on this on this uh, celebrated day of four twenty. Last year for four twenty, we had quite the episode. We had James Niece and uh, I think Tanner. Yeah, Tanner. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a show. If you haven't listened to last year's uh, 420 episode where basically Tanner and uh, they were talking about Hank Hill's a cuck mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, what was the other one that was really funny? Uh, Dog the Bounty Hunter yes. is, is a national treasure. Mm-hmm. We submitted we, that for a podcast award and we did not win. Oh, it's rigged. That would have been, yeah. <laughs> so rigged. So rigged. Obviously. So, now, Everybody know so explain Loki Wall a little bit more. It's a free form show hosted by Harry Price. What mm-hmm. are some of the subjects that you guys cover? We cover just about anything, but it's more of a we take a try to do more like a fan more fan submission, more fan interaction because of the live um, aspect of Twitch. We try to get more interaction with that. We also try to do because of the heavy tech presence. Because I get Reinhold helping me out, um, I can jump into a lot of weird topics. Like we were doing a lot of stuff with the um, we did like talk about like uh, what was like we talked about radium. We did the whole nerve agent thing, so we can really just geek out about different things and you know and just keep that free form aspect of it. Or and just like we've even taken articles live on air on Twitch and just went with it. Just from just from a fan submission, and we also allow different people, if you have enough levels inside the Discord, to just jump on to the Twitch channel and just to participate in the show with us. Yeah. So, how do you actually watch, or other than the Patreon feed, because you get it in the private RSS feed, correct? Uh, but you get the audio there. But if you want to watch the video and participate, actually, how do you? 
do that? To get that, you would have to make a Twitch. Um, you have to get on Twitch, twitch.tv uh, slash we are the letter R libertarians. And you can go there and watch um, watch the show live and participate. Uh, to create an account, you can easily sign in with your Facebook if you want to. Or if you have a, uh, you can sign in there. You can easily make an account. If you have an Amazon Prime account, you can get th- you can watch Twitch videos without having to watch the ads, which is also good if you link your Twitch account with your Amazon account. Right. And if you're worried about linking accounts, Amazon already owns Twitch, so they already have the information. Yeah, they already have the other information. They just want you to ask if you want to link it or which account you want to link it to. So you've got that. A hundred million Prime accounts. Yes. That's how many people have Amazon Prime. A hundred million. I love my Prime account. Me too. Um, I love my Audible. I love my. <laughs> I love I love Audible. Yeah, uh, yeah Jeff. I have to say, I, I have Amazon. I have Prime. It is it's makes too much sense. Yeah, you know? I, I do have to watch myself like not getting the like the trap of the Prime and checking out other sites to make sure I am getting the best deal. Right. But you mean, it just yeah. Prime just makes it so much easier because there's sometimes the things are cheaper oh, off the of Prime. The free, the yeah, free yeah. delivery. Yeah, some things are cheaper off of Prime or going to other sites. Um, but you know, it's, you know, prime, prime is very convenient. I can't wait until I get my prime house and go to my prime job with my prime car. <laughs> Can you explain who your brother is? Let's introduce Reinhold. Um, Reinhold is the right, it's the last, uh, white male rhino, um, on the earth right now. Cause the other one did pass away this yes. year. So it was sad. It's very sad. Very sad. Into the mic. Just right up in there. All right. Get in there. There you go. Like that. You got You got a great. Yeah, you got a great voice. Got to talk right <laughs> into it. You have a voice unlike mine. It's a good one. So yeah, um, yeah. My name's <laughs> Reinhold. I've been uh, get in the zone. <laughs> so I've been I've been spending time with uh, Loki Wall with uh, Harry for the past uh, what, three months now. You've been doing the show, so I've been on just about every episode. We've been doing it since um. You've been on since January. There's January. I was on every 16. episode except the second one because yeah, of the way it was done. I wasn't mm-hmm. able to make that one, but uh, I'm not the only one that's on the show too. There's a couple others that do jump in, but Escalade uh, Plus. I've been uh, part of Libertarian Movement since 1992. Um, I ran for office a couple times. Once, uh, uh, I think the last time was in 2010. Ran for that's when we uh, met. Yeah, yeah, that's when when I met Chris. It was in. Uh, District 44 as a um, House candidate there for the state Senate or state House. And uh, I've been writing for uh, about libertarianism since 92 as well on um, on the Internet on a couple different uh, locations. One was uh, watchblog.com and the other one was uh, Reinhold.org. It's where I've been writing it, too. So, yeah. So uh, uh, very interesting guy uh, and in a good way. <laughs> so glad to have you on your first episode of We Are Libertarians. I uh, no, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, wanted to have you on for a while. I uh, just have not had a chance. And then tonight seemed like the perfect opportunity. We got a lot of cool uh, stuff to talk about tonight. We're going to talk. I'm looking at my stack of stuff, my neatly arranged articles. We've, we're going to start talking a little Starbucks because we weren't going to until uh, Harry got here and started ranting about it. And then I was like, all right, we got to put this on tape because I don't think I did a good job breaking it down last time. And uh, we're, we're going to talk about uh, Donald Trump bombing Syria just to confirm his tweets, uh, which is <laughs> we'll talk about impeachment soon. Uh, senators respond to Trump's unauthorized military strike. They're trying to redo the AUMF, the Authorization of uh, Military Force, Plan Palantir, which we've talked about a few times on the show. They're back in the news because they're basically creating the minority report. 
uh, YouTubers look to new platforms. Joe DeFranco, or not Joe DeFranco, that's the uh, weightlifting guy, the strength training. Great podcast, Joe DeFranco's gym. Uh, but Phil DeFranco. Philly D. Philly D. We'll talk about him. XXT Phil. And if we get time, we'll talk a little Neil Gorsuch. So, but first, let's start with Starbucks. Okay. So, when we last left you, Dear Leader had not looked into the details, really, of it too much. And I was basically saying in the last episode, we somehow got on it. We we didn't even intend to talk about it last week, which is why I wasn't prepped on it. But it's so cult- it's so such a part of the conversation that it just like creeps in when you don't expect it. Uh, these two black men went into a Starbucks. They were waiting. Uh, they were about thirty minutes early for a business meeting. They're uh, twenty three. Uh, let's see here, Rashawn Nelson and Dante Robinson, along with their uh, attorney St- Stuart Cohen. We're on uh, Good Morning America today. Mm-hmm. Um, so they haven't told their story until today. So let's take a look at their story, what they actually said on Good Morning America. This was on the Washington Post. Um, the Philly Police Commissioner, Richard Ross, who, if it means anything to you, is black, uh, had to significantly walk back comments over the weekend, which he said the officers did absolutely nothing wrong. Um and he said if he had done it, if his officers had done anything to worsen race relations, shame on him. Uh, so Robinson, 23, said, I want to make sure the situation doesn't happen again. What I want is for a young man or young men to not be traumatized by this and instead motivated and inspired. The men said they arrived at the Center City Starbucks in Philadelphia at 4.35 p.m. for a 4.45 business meeting. Immediately upon walking in, Nelson asked the manager if he could use the restroom. The manager said the restrooms were for paying customers only. And I just left it at that, Nelson 23. Robinson said that after Nelson got back to the table, the manager came over to the table to ask if she could help with any drinks or water. Robinson said they had water bottles with them and they were waiting for a meeting. At 4.37, two minutes after the men arrived, the manager called the police to report that two gentlemen in my cafe are refusing to make a purchase or leave. Oh, I heard the tape earlier. Uh, she had an, an Anglo-sounding voice, but I have read online that she is Asian. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily, if you know anything about stereotypes, that doesn't lessen the charges of racism because Asians in uh, population centers don't like black people at all. Uh, so the officers arrived at 441, according to the tape. So uh, Philadelphia, I, I've been to a Starbucks in Philadelphia. Uh, on my fabled fabled trip, where I picked up mm-hmm. uh, picked up Rob, who you will hear from soon, for, live from the swamp, uh, and I walked into the Starbucks. I had been there about a minute, and I asked to use the restroom, and they told me the code. I walked right in. I used it. Now, this was not the same Starbucks, I don't <coughs> believe, because there's about twenty in in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most Starbucks, you have to be a customer, and they have a code, and it's because they're in very urban centers. And so they don't want homeless people going in there and taking baths, and they, you know, they want to pick their clientele, right? Which are paying customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so at four thirty-five, these guys walk in. Four thirty-seven, the cops get called. Four forty-one, great response time. Two officers show up. Nelson said the police told him, and Robinson they had to leave. They had to leave without any discussion about what was happening between them and the managers. Then they were arrested. Um, they, uh, I'm sorry, I got distracted by another Washington Post article linked. Starbucks arrest. 
Who gets to decide whether you're a patron or a trespasser? Reinhold. Who gets to decide in a Starbucks who is a patron or a trespasser? Would you like to field that one for me? I would think the owner of the facility would do that. <laughs> right. The, the property. Because it's a owner. private property. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the whole business model of Starbucks is loitering, but you know, you, you can be trespassing in a Starbucks. It's not a public space right. at all. Yeah, it's like they're putting a space up for you to come and have business meetings and not make money off of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well, it's the the honeypot idea. You go there and hopefully you'll get coffee and stuff like that. Normal stuff at a business meeting. Well, yeah. that's that's why they allow it. I mean, yeah. that's why they yeah. encourage it for the most part. But it's still at their discretion. They could say we don't want to have that occur at this point in time. So we, I don't know anything about the situation. Was there a lot of people there? Was right. it causing any kind of disturbance? There's so much we... I do not we know do about not this, know. that nobody knows about it yet. Right. That's really hard to kind of get, you know. Which really is the interesting, which is the really interesting part about the story is that nobody's known any information mm-hmm. until these two gentlemen spoke out this morning on TV. And they already, everybody's and it, already made up their minds. And everyone's made up their minds. Everybody's already written article after article. The Root has done a whole series on it. Like, it, it really is amazing how we don't need facts to finally uh, make up our mind anymore. It's, yeah, there's been protests all over the about this i mean it's like why don't we take a step back and find out what the information is and then we can make an informed decision on what was the right thing or not the right thing to do uh so there's not a single witness that says these men were misbehaving and you can see or hear that in the video there is a video uh robinson said that during the arrest he thought about his family and community and that he was just trying to process the situation he told the ap that he feared for his life and i totally I'm, he's 100% right on this. Anytime I'm encountered by the cops, I can honestly say it's a thought that runs through my mind, Nelson says. You never know what's going to happen. I mean, we've talked about that on the That's show. Oh, yeah, heck reality, yeah. yeah. You know, maybe not. Maybe, I, I don't when I'm in Lawrence, but everywhere else, heck yeah. Because, you know, if they can think a, a white iPhone's a black gun, heck yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's just too many things have been like in a black person's hand around the country or just person's hands around just dealing with police officers, regardless of the color of the skin, has been shot or just been tased before. There's tons of videos of people just being tased, falling and breaking, you know, their your jaw and losing a tooth. Right. You know, from dealing with a police officer, just trying to uh, show the uh, just trying to, like you know, practice their rights in front of a police officer. If you're a young black man sitting on your back porch on your phone, you mm-hmm. could end up dead having done nothing wrong. Yeah. 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 A lot of cops don't like attempt of cop where, they go, you know, and that's regardless of and that's regardless of whatever skin color you are or social dynamic status. If you have contempt of cop stuff might happen to you. There was a, a Philly cop who actually his post went viral. Because he walked into a Starbucks in Philadelphia, the mm-hmm. same city, and asked to use the restroom. And they said, no, it's for paying customers only. And the city, white cop, mm-hmm. the city went nuts. How dare you treat our police officers like this? Mm-hmm. Well, why does he get special? Why does he get special treatment? If their policy is the policy, the policy is the same for every human being, regardless of race, color, creed, or career. And it's a good thing because a lot of cops, they have like dump lo- lo- locations, especially on clean bathrooms, stuff like that. Right. Um, when my wife used to work for a gas station, it was like all of a sudden moments, like it seemed out of nowhere, cops would show up to use the bathroom. It's like they all radioed in when they saw her clean the bathrooms. Right. It was the nuttiest thing I've ever seen. 
Because they wanted to make sure they had a clean bathroom. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was nuts. They, it was almost like one person saw them, and they get on, like, hit a code, and just cops just show them, beeline uh, to the bathroom. I gotta t- How hard <laughs> is it to find a clean bathroom? I, I don't know. I don't know. And, like, since it's a gas station, you know, like, all right, go use the bathroom. Well, you never know what's going to get in a gas station, though. You know, I was like, yeah, but I was like, yeah, but, like, um, see, like, the Lawrence police officers probably would clean it up, but it was IMPD, and they were just, they're kind of <laughs> nasty. <laughs> So uh, the head of Starbucks, uh, what's what's his name? Ross something Ross. Um, I'm quite the journalist. Uh, something white. So it's all professional. No, I think it's Philly Police Commissioner Richard Ross. Um, you know, Ross said he genuinely did not know that it was common practice for people to sit in a Starbucks without making any purchases, and that it's possible the police officers didn't know either. Now that he knows, Ross understands why Nelson and Robinson were appalled when they were asked to leave. For this reason, me, I apologize, said the Philly police chief. The intent was not to intimidate. It was actually to do something different. Uh, Ross said that the issues surrounding race were not lost in him, nor were the optics. Messaging is important, and I failed miserably in this regard. I am flawed like many other folks, but that is still no excuse. We will continue to acknowledge how race plays a factor in what we do. All right, uh, I don't know what hole this guy crawled out of <laughs> and said, like, well, I didn't know people loitered all the time at Starbucks. Come on. Right. Come it's, on. It's a cultural it's, re- meme. It's 2018. Right. Okay. All right. Um, w- And the other thing is, I don't think the officers did anything wrong. They were called to a place of business to remove trespassers. Right. No one got shot. No one was tased. They were... They asked to be removed. They didn't want to be removed. They were arrested without incident. No one was harmed. I don't think the police officers did anything wrong in the situation. They were called to get rid of trespassers. Right, by the property owner. By the property. By a representative of the property owner. Exactly Mm -hmm. right, and that's what they did. And the guys said, we're not leaving. We have a meeting. We did nothing wrong. We're not going. Mm -hmm. And you say that to a police officer, regardless of your race, Mm -hmm. you're going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it it doesn't regard. It's also regardless because if you're still like, hey, I'm waiting for a meeting, doesn't matter. The property owner does not want you there anymore. You have to leave. Yeah, even right. if they had bought some, uh, food and the property owner wanted them to leave, they could still ask him to leave. There's no right to stay on somebody's private property if they want you to leave at that point in time, right? So, so let me ask you guys this. If the property owner wanted them to leave because they were black, how would you feel about that? Is it 2018? Let's start with Harry. Is it 2018? Start with Harry because he's our racism insurance. Is it 2018 though? In this in this this wacky scenario, is it 2018? What's your point? It is 2018. 2018. It is current. It is current it's year. It's current year. Well, <clears throat> I I feel if they said something like that, um, me personally, hey, I'd rather someone be open about whether they want me there or not, especially before I spend money. Right. Um. And since it's private property, if they want to be that way, you know, allow them to be that way. But it's 2018. I'm going to tweet this out. You're going to get yelped out. Right. You know, and it's also a dumb capitalist move because, you know, denying business to anyone, you know, that's not how you make money. At all. Yeah. And and especially in the age of intersectional politics, where society is no longer protecting the majority class who is oppressing the minority class, Mm -hmm. the majority of people support minorities- and want equal, they want equality. They want justice, and this shows that. This is a comp- all right. You're making a face, but let me finish. You don't think that the majority of people in America don't want? 
if if they were removed because they were black, mm-hmm. if let's say that this woman who was the the manager, okay, removed them because they were black, you don't think that the majority of America would have a problem with that? I think the majority of America would have a problem with that. Yes, uh, right. Yes, that's yeah, yeah. Do you think that would have been the case in 1960? No. Right. No. And so, so that's where I think the well, no. I um. That's the other thing is like a lot of when a lot of people the majority the other people that outside of the Jim Crow South when they were realizing what was going on mm-hmm. in the South a lot of people started having issues with it. I mean Chicago is pretty segregated. It still is. Still is. Yeah, it still is. India is too. Yeah, India was the political home for the KKK for several years. Yeah, the, in the twenties, we Indiana had the only Klan governor, yeah. Ned Jackson. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, and India is still paying the price from it too, and it's ridiculous that that. And the other thing is, Indy has the ability, and it is always trying to claw its way out of it. But it's always seemed like federal government will always come in and just like dash every attempt that right. the, that the Indy uses to get 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 rid of that racist segregation inside of Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. The worst thing that ever happened here to Indiana to like housing is the Section Eight Section Eight housing and all their other uh, government federal government funded housing programs, which yeah. move people around into different areas. Mm-hmm. Which then what causes, um, for lack of a better term, white flight, and make all the majority of the taxpayers here in Indiana, inside Indianapolis, leave the donut and move out to further out to Fishers, further out to Noblesville, move everyone away, which moves out a lot of the revenue outside of the outside of the donut, and or just moves it up to District Four. There's well, a there's well, a whole, there's a great book called White Flight. Not District Four, District Six. Sorry, and, District and I'll put four. it in the show notes, which I'm really working on the show notes. I'm now sending the show notes out via email, so go to wearelibertarians.com dot com sign up for the email list and you will be the lucky recipient of show notes but white flight was basically atlanta using using various tax structures and government mm-hmm. agencies to uh incentivize white people to leave and then it robbed the the tax base and it and it made atlanta a very violent place i'm sorry i cut you off no just saying uh, on top of all that though i have seen a cross burning in indiana in the 80s so it was, this wasn't in the 60s tell this us. was in the 80s tell us more uh well, we were driving back uh from a track meet mm-hmm. late one night it was getting it was dark it started getting dark and um just down the road on i think it was i'm trying to remember if it was 39 or 42 i think it was 39 um come around the corner and up on the hill there was a big cross burning in front of somebody's house yeah, my father would tell me because my father went to Arsenal Technical High School. He uh, was born in 1950, so he would. I had family yeah. there too. Yeah. So he would. They used tell, to have race riots there. Oh yeah, all the time, and he would tell me they would get him to go to different events around Southern Indiana, stuff like that. It was he had such said, horrible memories when I would tell him like, "Oh, I'm going to a wrestling meet in Whiteland," and you're he's like, "You're not going to that wrestling meet. You're not going there." I'm like. Why? It's fine. It's perfectly fine. We're all going to wrestling meet. He just like was like, no, 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 no. You don't need to go. It's like, no. And it was, it, and it was like that weird because like to him in his head still that you know how Southern Indiana was. Well, Martinsville has still got a bad reputation. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't tell me like yeah. It's yeah. yeah it's there's some. But I have seen people in Martinsville tell folks of color not to come, not to be there at night. Mm-hmm. They need to leave. And but now this was. 20 years ago mm-hmm. i got married the first time i got married uh was right out of the navy and i had a 
uh, three-day weekend because it was right out of boot camp. We had a three-day weekend because it was Martin Luther King Day. So that Monday was a Martin Luther King Day. And I had the brilliant idea that I would get married right out of boot camp. Now, my that's another story. But <laughs> so we had to try and get this planned all of a sudden to see if we can get this done. So they called the courthouse in, in Martinsville to see if they were going to be available to give us a marriage license mm-hmm. on that day. And they're like, well, why wouldn't we be able to? And we said, well, it was Martin Luther King Day. We figured there, you would be closed. And they laughed. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got to, married on Martin Luther King Day. To, to be fair, I, I spent a couple years in Martinsville. Uh, hanging out in high school, I, uh, all the kids that I w- were there were like super racially um, sense. Uh, they were very sensitive to the issue because of the reputation of their town. Yeah, that's that's part of the problem yeah. that they're having to fight with now. Because in in the earlier you know seventies, early eighties, it was still kind of uh, kind of a, a thing. So in the nineties, they're they've been trying to fight this. I, I just read an mm-hmm. article about this a couple of days ago, where they're still trying to just overcome. There was a murder that happened, and it kind of uh, instigated a lot of this of, of a black woman there, and they didn't find the killer for thirty years. Yeah, and it turned he turned out to be a white man from Indianapolis, mm-hmm. but and his daughter turned him in. But it was in Indiana in the uh, there. There's a song called "Strange Fruit." Uh, I think it's by either Ella Fitzgerald or Nina, Nina Simone. And strange fruit swinging from the tree. And it's based on this famous photo from Marion, Indiana, of two black men being hung and a group of around 30 people standing around the tree. And so you've probably seen this, like, there's a meme mm-hmm. that why do you need a 30-clip round? And then it's just all of these white that, people yeah. numbered. I've actually shared it before. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a powerful, powerful yeah, yeah. display of why... Why you wouldn't need it? Because yeah. Gu- yeah. In, in the civil rights era, in the in the forties and the fifties, you couldn't call the cops if you were being uh, messed with in any no, way. No, you shape couldn't or call form. the cops because a lot of times in the South. they were the ones doing it. They mm-hmm. were part of the the mob. Yeah, yeah. And so guns, gun, gun control is not something that they would have supported. But no. But n- here, here's the th- so yeah. you and know, the, and that whole idea that the NRA doesn't want black people to have guns—that's it's regard. You know, no, that's right. That's that's negligent of the NRA's in complete history. They loved black people as having guns. They right. supported a lot of it. So let's get back to Starbucks. Back to the <laughs> Starbucks. I, I have a I have a problem with. Which, after all, that seems like a really minor issue at this point, doesn't? That's it? that's sort of the thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Juxtaposed next to this, we, that's like the weird things, like the whole Russian hacking thing. Like, Ooh, they hacked your electrical well, bots. People, people are killing people. But yeah, sorry, back to Starbucks. No, just people are are going nuts now and 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 being so emotional about it. It's like, okay, this was a bad thing and it wasn't really handled well, probably. Mm-hmm. But it's not some of the, it's not as bad as we've seen before. Let's not get let's not lose sight of the fact that things have gotten a lot better and we and we're still going to fight these challenges and get these battles, but. We're doing better as a piece. So let's let's be fair here. Uh, Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks, came out and said, "If you watch the tape, there's implicit bias here. Uh, that it is essentially a a, a, disc- a case of discrimination within our stores. We don't support that. So we're going to shut down the stores for half a day, and everyone's going to get implicit bias training, which is the same kind of training where." Um, Basically, what it is, you know, it's they show you a word and then they show you a white face and then they ask you to associate the word and then they show you a black face and they ask you to associate the word. And white people always say, you know, 
always. Uh, but there's flaws. Even the even the founder of implicit bias training, I, and I think I'm saying that right. Implicit bias training. No, you're uh, fine. Yeah, Keep going. Yeah, yeah. It's so, more fun this way. Uh, it's more fun when I look stupid. And even the creator of it has said, like, this is not. Uh, this is not something that I think should be used in courts because I don't think it's reliable. It's it's basically um, it, it it is uh, an awareness tool as opposed to a scientific standard. Uh, and I do think that, as we talked in the last episode, I do think white privilege exists. I do think that I have a better percentage of a chance of walking into a Philly Starbucks and asking to go to the restroom and getting the code than Harry would. God, it just went to the bathroom and just picked the code. Right. I, I, well, I was like, I was, I would have done probably what anybody. Now, these guys were like 23, so they probably had no money. Uh, they're just entrepreneurs trying yeah. to get something started. Yeah, but I would have, if they had said to me that day. What's the cheapest thing you have on the menu? Uh, yeah. Give me a bottle of water, yeah. you know? And, but, the, you know, being 23 and, you know, everybody's poor at 23, they probably didn't even have the 350 to buy a bottle of water. Well, I've done, I've done that before where I've like, had you know doing long trips and you have to pull off to go to the bathroom and you pull into like an Arby's and you right. go you go in to use the bathroom but I always feel bad I go up and I'll buy something just for the fact that I use the bathroom I should you know you're a better it, man than I because I, I don't I don't do it all the time but there are times where I just like I just I just feel like I should do that so I mean but the but and it also has but the, to do but like, the issue is yeah I guess the issue is you know what's the expectation that they're they're expecting here so yeah. And with the area, too, because there's that yeah. Starbucks that's on um, State Road 37. There's yeah. so many people that go to that ba- that Starbucks just to use the bathroom. Yeah, because it's a high-traffic area. Yeah, I've walk. i I've stopped there when I use the bathroom. I just go to use the bathroom. Now I buy coffee going out because I'm a coffee addict. Right. But I know a lot <laughs> of people that just, like my you know, And like we're my in wife. Philadelphia, was it, too? Because I've been in Philadelphia where I was, you know, in one location, and I went a block further down, and I'm going to a White Castle that had three-inch glass at the drive-thru <laughs> that you had to go through, like, you know, turn because they didn't want any chance of a bullet coming in. Yeah, I mean, that's how bad it was. I don't know. This was this was in the center of the city. I mean, Harry, you've actually, you were the person who kind of opened my eyes to this, the kind of, you know, every black person that I know and every black public figure has a story of discrimination. Yeah. I, I can't tell you that... I have a story where I've been discriminated against. Now, obviously, these are these are anecdotal stories, but I mean, there there is an issue. But I also look at a company like Starbucks and go, "We're we're really calling them a systemically racist company now, right? Yeah, <laughs> like the most progressive company on the planet. Yeah, uh, you know, but they it, one individual inside of a company does not mean there's two hundred forty thousand employees of Starbucks. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the size of Richmond, Virginia, and or Fort Wayne, Indiana, I think. Like, you're going to shut down the entire town because one person, as Ben Shapiro said, murdered someone? <laughs> First off, um, regardless of what anyone's saying, that is, like, the smartest move Starbucks can make for this entire, like, thing. Well, it's a PR thing. Yeah, it's a PR move. It's a brilliant chess move because you get it shut down for this afternoon to do this faux crap training, which they probably even know is crap. Right. Mm-hmm. But they're doing it just for the simple fact that they're one, they're a leftist company. They know how the left thinks. And if they don't give them a gigantic, massive bone, they'll lose even more of that quarter. <laughs> right. Okay? They'll lose even more of that quarter. And this way they can choose to lose. We choose to lose on this day. We choose. We'll make sure everything, all the coffee, everything stops at this time. So we'll choose when there's no food. 
we'll choose it. So this way they can budget it out. Yeah. They won't even feel the hit. They'll budget it. Right. They'll budget it right out. And they they'll get probably t- even take the day to like turn the servers off and just do. They're probably doing every bit of maintenance that day. Well, yeah, it's probably they're turning it. They're looking at the PR benefit Mm -hmm. of having their name in a positive way Mm -hmm. after the. And and after this, watch every other company. This is their new move. Right. This is their new move. And a lot of companies already kind of do this when situations happen. It's just this is a very uh, public facing company that does this. A lot of companies close for training, but a lot of them aren't that aren't this public facing. But do we really want to become a society where Twitter and social can media shut down a company. It can shut down a company where it rules society. It already, Twitter is the editor of the I mean, Atlantic. Twitter right. is the editor of uh, it, it's it's. <sighs> Twitter does public uh, foreign the, policy, but the, right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's the biggest thing now is that you don't like something that somebody's doing. You go after their advertiser. Right. right. You shut yeah. them down. Yeah. You shut them down, or um, you know, and then people just go for the attack and never go back for the retraction. Um, like, look what's going on with Bill Cosby's case right now. He's spending it. Yeah. He's spending, like I said, he's on the attack with millions of dollars going after people. Right. That, like, and it, and it's, one, it's kind of like, it's, and, and it's funny to watch all the, the, the when they really start getting into court cases and making these people that went after him actually have to put their statement down and, and watch his lawyer heart just take them apart, right? Right. And also the crap part of their arguments when they're like, well, they gave me quaaludes. It's the 80s. Everyone's doing ludes, okay? <laughs> that was, I actually had a friend who, mm. upon hearing the news, goes, "Yeah, you don't know what the 80s were like. This that's what I was, when I first heard it, I was just like, yeah, because <laughs> that's kind of how things were. Yeah, and that's been a lot of the defense. But like the... Um, uh, but yeah, this is going to be the new move. It's the new move because of like the Me Too era and watching things going on. Right? Look what happened to Louis C.K. He, he did his move. Now he's gonna, you know, he did his move, and that's the move everyone else is taking. Like a Nizan sorry, like oh, that's the move. The Louis C.K. move. Get out of the public spotlight. Just wait. Right. Just do the move. That's a yeah. new move. The other move is the Roy Moore Donald Trump move, which is I didn't do it. They're liars. Yeah, <laughs> which you, you Stormy, have, let me be honest. Stormy Daniels is uh, I, I, we're not going to get to it, but Stormy Daniels did a police sketch. She released a police sketch on the, <laughs> on the View. If you go and look up, it looks just like her ex husband. Mm-hmm. The police sketch is identical to her husband at the time. It's un it's unreal. I put it on my Twitter at Chris Spangle. <laughs> Very upset that Stormy Daniels and is also then, on trending on Pornhub too, by the way. And then so. said this week that she didn't have sex with Donald Trump. So every week she's flipping her stories. I just can't believe that she's not I, not a trustworthy. I uh, don't witness. understand why it's a story because it involves sex and the president. Yeah, yeah, and, and anything they can do to try and to go a, after Trump. It was Trump. almost the problem. The problem with the Clinton thing was that it became about the sex and not about the fact that he lied under oath during a court case. Where he was being sued for sexual harassment, right? But it's it's the salacious. Yeah, we don't want to argue the Starbucks thing on the principle that you do have a right to kick people off of your property if they're loitering. Starbucks has every right to ask people to leave if they don't want them on the property. You don't have a right to hang out at somebody's place of business or home where you're not wanted. But they they're not going to argue the law. They're not going to argue the principle from a libertarian mm-hmm. standpoint. They're going to argue it from let's please the mob. Yeah. and get out of this and and that's what that's well, that, what but media that's does. capitalism too isn't but it? that's I what mean, media does which exactly right media says we're not going to argue the uh, the authorization of the use of military force because nobody cares about that 
they care about the porn star and the president. They don't care about mm. you know what's actually happening in in Turkey, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the vegetables. That's the yeah, stuff we how, should care about. About how Congress is basically just absolved itself from its responsibility completely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And they're not they're not even doing budgets anymore. I feel a segue. That was. You, you <laughs> was he trying to? I'm going to pull that back. To, See, you you weren't supposed to announce that that was a segue. But low key, while we do that, okay, we but just do that. Speaking, what, you think wall isn't polished? Go listen to the low key wall. Yeah, uh, or we are basementarians. Uh, glad to have you, Grant. Grant says, "How's it going, everybody?" If you are a ten dollar a month subscriber on Patreon, you get to watch the live stream, the video live, and you get to leave comments in the chat section. And uh, you get access to the exclusive Facebook group. There's a hundred of us mm-hmm. in there, and we like to talk crap about the big Facebook group and especially the big page. Yep, and they deserve it. And uh, and uh, now a secret spot on the uh, Discord too. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. So segueing on to the Syrian crisis, we covered it a little bit. Uh, I think pretty well in the last episode, halfway through. Um, why are you shaking your head like that? No, I was just doing. Okay, was doing, well, yes, you were you're loosening up your neck, but yeah. you did it in a way that was like, eh, I don't think you really covered it that well. <laughs> Actually, that's okay. No, it's just it. a, it's a... Um, Harry, your catchphrase "going good" is catching on in the uh, in the Discord too. Because yeah. every episode I say, "How are you doing, Harry?" and you go, "Going good, going good, going good, going good." Right? That's your new catchphrase. <laughs> Uh, hey, it, Harry, we're celebrating on 420 Harry's birthday mm-hmm. uh, at the Stacked Pickle in Southport yep. tomorrow night. So if you are in Indiana or Indianapolis, you're invited. Southport uh, Stacked Pickle yep. at 5 p.m. You can invite people from outside of Indiana if they want to make sure, the drive. Sure. Anytime mm-hmm. after, welcome. anytime from 5 to 10, we'll be there. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, but there's an article, and I, I didn't intend on talking about Syria, um, but... Uh, let's see. Thank you, Grant. Grant says, you know, I think you guys really need my 25 bucks a little more than that big podcast that I support. And you're right. We do. Uh, we're growing and, uh, building mechanisms where they've got them. So I saw an article in, uh, the New York mag.com nymag.com that I couldn't, how many times Reinhold do you look at, at the news and Donald Trump and go, I'm shocked and surprised. I can't believe it. I'm outraged. At this point, not very much. Because like now it's like, <laughs> oh, okay. When, when did that stop for you? Like what month of the what year? It was during the election cycle. Right. I mean, I, I was just like the month or the fact that they were even thinking that maybe we might elect this guy. I'm like, okay. <laughs> that, there's nothing I don't understand what's going on. At the same time, like Rand did was like, you know no. what, I'm done. If you guys <laughs> like this guy, He's, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> what about you, no. Harry? Go ahead. Um, I haven't been shocked at anything that a non-Paul has said in politics for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, especially with my political stance. I think the system is a joke, and he is the best jester and the per- the best person for the job that makes fun of the system. Right. Uh, and I will say this. I think in this Trumpsonian era that we're going into and post and the and the Trumpsonian candidates afterwards, I think, honestly, he's the best thing to say. If you wanted to save the republic, I think Trump is the best thing to forward. Let me see if your argument's mm. the same as mine. Let me let me let me tell you why I think the same thing. And I thought that this week, 
Trump has swung the pendulum so far, uh, betraying the norms, mm-hmm. that the pro-norm conservative, I want just, I just, it's like a return to normalcy, mm-hmm. is going to swing right back from Wilson right back into Coolidge. And I think the next president is going to be somebody who is like a Barack Obama, who is like, Barack Obama in in his rhetoric was you know, progressive and, and, but in the way that he respected the office where George HW, I don't know. George HW was George probably the last president that I, that really was like, this is how the office works. That greatest generation. But I think we're going to get a return to normalcy in a big way. So what do you, why do you think? Right. So? Return to normalcy in that pendulum, because I think they're showing that you can get a president that can go completely outside the norms, do what the heck he wants because of all the powers that the executive branch have taken and that each side have bid for, and then watch someone just abuse it for four years and hopefully eight years, that when someone goes like, wait a minute, we need to rein this in. Yeah. We want. Com- I've been waiting for that for two years now, waiting for somebody to say uh, we were wrong with giving them. You know, Obama, all these extra powers, so because now it's being used against us. Well, nobody's saying that, right? Um, James Neese of District Four running for Congress <laughs> is saying that. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, say nobody. Uh, Rand Paul. I'm saying uh, it, but um, the, the media is not listening to us. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I w- the other thing which would would be. Bi- would be awesome to happen to watch other states besides New Hampshire and the Liberty LARPers out there, woohoo, New Hampshire, uh, would use the 10th Amendment more often to smack down a lot of the goofy stuff that the federal government's going to do. Ninth Amendment would be nice, too. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I saw a story this week. Like, I, the day before I saw the story, I was listening to a podcast, and they were talking about the judge in the Cohen case, who was a, a, a an appointee on the shortlist for Attorney General for the Clintons, a former Playboy playmate, and this conservative was just be- bemoaning the fact that this woman had was a judge and had been a playmate. And I'm like, are you going to mention that the whole thing's about him paying off a porn star <laughs> because of an extramarital affair? But that never was brought up on the conservative. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this podcast. You have to just listen to one episode. It's called The White House Briefing from CRTV. It is the worst podcast I've ever heard in my life. And I want to know why do young conservatives think that if they yell and they like they yell their points really quickly, like Tommy Lauren or this dude, or there's one girl named Alex here in Indianapolis, like they just yell their points really quickly. And this is, I just want to know, why do you think that blah, 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 and I'm going to sound really sarcastic as I say it. Is that is that the one... Well, they're trying to be like the Today Show or something where... That, I, I think, I, I'm not sure. The White House Briefing is what it's called. Yes. CRT, yeah. Uns- yeah. 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 No, it's it watered down Gavin McGinnis cadence. Uh, no, Gavin, I like, don't... But I'm saying, like, but the, the Tommy he does these little delivery. He does these little videos on yes. Facebook that show up. Yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, he's a black guy. He's their token. Mm-hmm. Awkward. <laughs> <laughs> in front of Harry. I didn't mean to... Uh, that's it. I'm going to apply for CRTV. <laughs> <laughs> You're too way too libertarian yeah. for them. No, um, although they have Kibby on. I'll give them credit for that. Uh, yeah, I just, I listen to this and I go, what? And so. Like the first two or three times I've seen him, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's pretty funny. He's making some points and he's trying to play at their own game. And then after a while, it's like, oh, you know, it's the same thing. Right. It's just kind of yelling. <laughs> yeah. Then So 
the next day, I like even we're at that level of absurdity where the the judge in the Trump trial is a former playmate, and like everybody's all mad about it, even though they're supporting a guy who had sex with playmates. Well, was and it- so, so but then the next day, sorry to cut you off, Reinhold. Yeah. I just we have to get through through to yeah. the actual point at some point here, because um, we could tangent all night. Uh, I, I read this story from New York Mag. Officials confirm. That Trump bombed Syria to validate his tweets. Officials confirmed it. Confirmed. Inside the White House. Now, this is not an That's the title. Case. Right. Okay. Let's play the game okay. that I play. Do they make the case of the title in the article? Barely. Okay. <laughs> but it's to the point that I was like, this is what Mueller should be looking into. Because if there were ever a reason to impeach... Trying to validate what you said on Twitter so you don't look like a fool would be a case for impeachment. Using war powers to validate your point. So last week, the United States launched an act of war against a sovereign government Mm -hmm. because failing to do so would have cast doubt on the credibility of the statements that Donald Trump makes while live-tweeting Fox and Friends. (laughs) That may sound like hyperbolic snark or the premise of an Andy Borowitz column, but it is plain. It is a plain description of the rationale behind last Friday's missile strike in Syria, according to multiple military and administration officials. Last Tuesday, amid reports that the U.S. was considering a strike against the Assad regime in response to the alleged chemical weapons against civilians in Douma, Russia's ambassador to Lebanon, Alexander Zaspikin, warned that if there was a U.S. missile attack, we will shoot down U.S. rockets and even the sources that launched the missiles. They did not. They did not even get their pants on before we blew the shit out of them. Uh, The Fox & Friends morning crew took exception to this bluster, with one host arguing, what we should be doing is telling the Russians every Syrian military base is a target, and if you're there, it is your problem. Minutes later, one of the program's most dedicated viewers echoed that belligerent note. The White House had reached no final decision on whether to strike Syria, let alone whether to target Russian assets. Uh, But the president couldn't be able to abide a delay. Uh, In his view, it was better to bomb Syria without a strategy or legal authorization than to invite doubts about the credibility of the threats he could make on social media. As the New York Times reports, Defense Secretary Jim Mattis urged president to get congressional approval before the United States launched airstrikes against Syria last week but was overruled by Trump. Mr. Trump, the official said, wanted to be seen as backing up a series of bellicose tweets with action, but was warned that an overly aggressive response risked igniting a wider war with Russia. Uh, Editors note that's why he decided not to implement the sanctions, too, by the way. Uh, He didn't want to escalate things with Russia. Not because he's in their pocket, but because he didn't want war with Russia. Perfectly valid reason. Liberals. So what you're saying is... <laughs> right. <laughs> Mr. Trump's drumbeat of threats last week of a sharp response to the suspected gas attacks all but guaranteed the U.S. would strike Syria, but not necessarily hard enough. Uh, so there were doubts, no significant facts on the ground, doubts about whether Assad had done this. What did change were Fox News, Fox News programming decisions. Unlike Assad's typical war crimes, the alleged chemical weapons attack in Douma produced dead bodies that weren't too mutilated to be aired extensively on American cable news networks. Trump reportedly saw those images and felt moved to assert American power. He then 
Jeez. Obstensively saw Fox and Friends segment in which Russia was portrayed as challenging his authority to assert that power. He tweeted a rebuke, and America went to war. Uh, it should also be noted that Donald Trump doesn't take his his security briefings are not like predecessors where it's very text heavy. Donald Trump's security briefings are very picture heavy. And I think that in a situation like Syria, that definitely plays a role. Uh, so. He's a TLDR president. Absolutely. <laughs> he's the, your first millennial president. He can't read. He just likes pictures. If it's not on Instagram, he's not going to do anything about it. <laughs> I like um, how you want to assert his power to do something when he doesn't have that power to do something. Right. He, yeah. That's the thing about it is like, well, they let him do it. So well, what's your point? Yeah. So. So, so later in the article, Someone they say, Congress, by contrast, projecting a desirable image is Trump's highest ambition. Cannot agree more. Mm -hmm. The highest ambition of Donald Trump is to project an image. He's a populist. Yes. yes. Uh, just I think it's his mental illness, <laughs> his hysteronics. Uh, he does not use propaganda as a means for advancing his preferred policies. He uses policy as a tool for advancing his preferred propaganda. It's a great line. He does not use propaganda to advance his policies like the war on terror. They're, you're with us or against us. They hate us for our freedom. He uses policy as a tool for advancing his propaganda. The mogul did not run for president because he had deeply held convictions about how he wanted to change the world, but because he had deeply felt desire to change how the world uh, viewed him. Uh, instead of the most powerful intelligence apparatus ever assembled by humankind, Trump cares more about how geopolitical realities look to Fox News viewers than about what those realities actually are. So, from this perspective, his strikes were strategically sound, and his mission was accomplished. If he is trying to look a certain way to Fox News viewers, then he accomplished it. Mm -hmm. And that is a perfectly rational, logical breakdown of what Donald Trump is doing. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump is waking up in the morning. He's watching Fox and Friends. He's watching cable news all day. As we've said, if you're watching TV news, you're having your in intelligence insulted. And he is reacting and making policy to craft the headlines on Fox News because he believes, and probably rightly so, so goes Fox News and their viewers, so goes his second term and his legacy. Mm -hmm. And Donald Trump is obsessed most of all with how you talk about him. Not even how you think about him, how you talk about him. And so when you have a president, this, um, you know, as, as Jim Comey said, he's not a, a feeble-minded person. He's of above intelligence. He's just deeply morally corrupt and incapable of seeing beyond his own version of things. And I really, truly go back to what Hillary Clinton said and say, oh, my God, Hillary Clinton was right. <laughs> When she said, do you really want a president with the hand on the nuclear button who can be baited by a tweet? Mm -hmm. And so Twitter diplomacy, this irrational reaction to things, is incredibly dangerous. And so if Donald Trump truly did launch missiles at a foreign country because of how it would make him look, that's impeachable. Now I know what you're saying. Chris, Spangle, every president does that. And that's one of the beauties of Donald Trump is that Donald Trump exposes how everything actually really works. <laughs> and you can argue that. 
foreign agents and Russians try to infiltrate every political campaign. Yep. Every political campaign is paying off prostitutes and hookers, and every campaign mm-hmm. is buying, you know, from uh, these these. What, what's the uh, dossier people? Every everybody's hiring yeah. a Christopher Steele to do the dossier mm-hmm. fusion GPS type stuff. Donald Trump is exposing at every level how the government truly actually works. Yep, there's probably tons so, of porn stars out there with NDAs up the wazoo, or so just people. Or he's people. draining the swamp by waiting in it neck high, right? Or just pointing at it. Look, look, vote this out, vote this crap well, out. The thing about Donald Trump is he made his career, his money, off his image. Mm-hmm. That's what's most important to him is his image, and that's why how he's running the presidency is what's his image. Well, that's his whole business. It's yeah. licensing his name. It's not even building anymore. Yeah, he doesn't even own stuff anymore. He just licenses his name out. That's how he makes his money. Please let me know if my nose starts bleeding. Uh, we got a dry spell here in in the state of Indiana, and uh, I'm getting some nosebleeds lately. Now you heard it here first. Chris Spangle has hit a dry spell. Anyways, um, <laughs> <laughs> breaking news. But no, but like, uh, the, ahead, but this, it's yeah. And if it's like, uh, man, Trump's the only one who's done this, but you know, I don't know the whole red line interested with um, Barack Obama. The um, because you know, Obama well, he, did but he pulled back make, from the red line yeah. because he actually sent the chemical weapons to get tested and found out they weren't what they thought they were, mm-hmm. and they were wrong and he he kicked it to congress and mm-hmm. congress declined to no act. Con- well no oh well that was in 2013 when the chemical weapon wrong time yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but i'm just saying he he would he said that he obama said that he uh would like to get authorization from congress but he didn't need it and he wasn't going to wait for it right right so now that's that, the same it, thing it's yeah and trump didn't need it until need until congress it. steps up and does their job the president's basically a king, but right. isn't and he's exposing all of that. But isn't Congress making a choice by not acting? Yes, they're not, making a very, very big choice to not act. They're acquiescing their power. Mm-hmm. It's it's not about whether they agree with whether or not he should be attacking Syria. They can easily write a resolution and do it. George Bush went and got one, right? Got two actually, mm-hmm. but Obama didn't, and Congress didn't want to say anything. They mm-hmm. let him do it. Mm-hmm. Now Trump's doing it. Congress isn't saying anything. They're letting him do it. They are giving up their responsibility as a checks and balances and to do the job that they were assigned to do by the Constitution. It's their job to to decide whether or not we go to war because that way the people have had a chance to weigh in on the decision. Right. It's not one person doing it. Yeah. Funny you should mention congressional authorization. Uh uh-huh. See, nice transition, right? Segway. Uh, we should have a little theme music. <laughs> Segway. Um, this is from Reason Magazine. Senators respond to Trump's unauthorized military strike on Syria by trying to give him even more war powers. No, President Donald Trump didn't, didn't have authorization to order a military strike on Syria. No, Congress will not hold him accountable for bombing Syria anyway. Not only has Congress largely abandoned its duty to grant or deny the president permission to wage war, but a bipartisan bill was introduced this week that would pretty much let him engage war as he pleases. Senator Bob Corker and former vice presidential candidate Tim Kaine, a senator from Virginia, Corker of Tennessee, teamed up to introduce a new authorization for the use of military force, AUMF, 
Both Trump and former President Obama have been criticized for using the AMF signed after 9-11, which was theoretically supposed to authorize the fight with Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda to justify all sorts of military interventions in the Middle East. The Obama and Trump administrations have argued that the 2001 AUMF covers everything from military actions in Libya and Syria to drone strikes in Yemen and Somalia. Senator Corker and Kane's AUMF is supposed to address this imbalance between what the 2001 bill actually authorized and how it has been used. Unfortunately, their authorization is a virtual blank check. It gives the president permission to keep on doing what he's doing, and it expands the number of terrorist groups the White House may use uh, military action against. Uh, the president, the, the, the new AUMF, uh, the new associated terrorist groups are amended and added, um, and even entire new countries where anti-terror operations will happen beyond Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, Syria, Somalia, and Libya. The uh, Essentially, what this bill's going to do is it's going to replace the 2001-2002 AUMFs. And in 2001, shortly after, I think it was, was it October, November, uh, they authorized the president broad powers to go and fight the war on terror mm -hmm. terror and what this basically said is you have our authorization to fight al-qaeda and the taliban and they they made it broad for a specific reason because they didn't want to limit his abilities america had a very strong will and and it was probably the last time that congress was really united uh that you you had, I'm trying to pay attention because, well, my cat molests Reinhold, uh, <laughs> and she's about to bite the crap out of him. Isn't that the way with cats? They love you, they want attention, they want petted, they rub all over you, and then they attack you. Um, so the AUMF in 2001 allowed them to go into Afghanistan, but it also, let's say you had an Al-Qaeda asset in Libya in a cafe meeting with a courier. And the uh, military and security services of the United States wanted the ability to send in spies or to act in that country to find out what information was being passed between that courier and an al-Qaeda member. That's why it was made so broad. And it did have sunset provisions. It was renewed in September of last year. We mm -hmm. talked about it then. Harry and I talked about Rand Paul's protesting that. I'll put his great speech uh, in the show notes, but you can listen to it in the Raw Audio Politics feed. We have a podcast called Raw Audio Politics where we put uh, big speeches and important things you should hear. Um, so this AUMF in 2001 was uh, fairly broad, and then they passed another one in 2002 to allow him to go into Iraq, and that was essentially the vote to go into Iraq. Uh, there was no declaration of war. We haven't declared war since 1945, uh, during World War II, we didn't declare war in Korea. We didn't declare war in Vietnam. We didn't declare war in 92 or 2001 and 2 and 3. Uh, and so the AUMF, the, it, yes, it was used to go into Afghanistan and uh, Iraq under Bush, but it really expanded under Obama. Obama, the Nobel Peace Prize winner, expanded territory into places like Syria, uh, mm -hmm. Somalia, Libya, and Yemen, basically getting involved in full-scale civil wars in Yemen and uh, Syria. And so it, it is a huge issue. Now, 
what they're trying to do is limit the scope of the AUMF uh, to just Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and the Taliban, and, and its known associates. Uh, now, those known associates include Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, AQAP, Al-Shabaab, Al-Qaeda in Syria, including but not apparently limited to the Nusra the Front, the Haqqani, Net, the Haqqani Network, uh, Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb, AQIM. Uh, now, there's a great website that you should check out from the Brookings Institute called lawfareblog.com, L-A-W-F-A-R-E-blog.com. And it is all about the legal aspects of our wars overseas and security states. Uh, they're not always the most non-interventionist, but they do write up basically all the time saying, this is a ridiculous thing that they're doing. This makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, so I do think they have a, a, a lot of good stuff. There's an article that I put in the show notes, again, which you can get via email if you sign up for our email newsletter at wearelibertarians.com called A Primer on the Corker Kane Draft of the AUMF. Um, but at, going back to the Reason article, before we do some analysis here, mm-hmm. uh, in other words, it resolves the problem, the new AUMF, of unauthorized military actions by retroactively authorizing them and future strikes as well. It does not have any sunset clause. Now, let me explain that. The language in the bill is going to basically wave a magic wand and say all that stuff that we did was legal under these new provisions. Mm-hmm. So even though it it appears more narrow in scope, it is prov- it is carving out a legal justification for you to do what you had previously done and will be able to do again. Mm-hmm. It does not have any sunset clause, instead requiring the president to submit a report every four years to propose with a proposal to repeal, modify, or leave the AUMF in place. There will be congressional review for the addition of new countries... Congressional review, but otherwise, this is in practical terms permission to send mili- the military wherever the president pleases. Among this, uh, uh, Jeff Flake is a co sponsor, the great libertarian hope, according to some in 2010. Uh, so, uh, I'm almost done reading, I promise. Uh, so, Gene Healy. And John Claser of the Cato Institute say, as we have painfully learned, war often spawns new threats. The Islamic State had its origins in the Sunni insurgency that rose to fight American forces in Iraq. As early as 2006, the National Intelligence Estimates on Trends in Global Terrorism found that the Iraq War had become the cause celebre of four jihadists, breeding a deep resentment of U.S. involvement in the Muslim world and cultivating supporters for the global jihadist movement. In the seven countries that the United States either invaded or bombed since September 11th, the number of individual terrorist attacks rose by an astonishing 19,000% from 2001 to 2015. 19, no, I'm sorry, uh, 1,900%. That's a lot different. Shocked. Still shocked. No, 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 that's 1900. Yeah, yeah I'm 1900. right. 1900%, 1,900% from 2001 to 2015. Shocked. If anything, open-ended war in the Middle East has made us less safe, not more. Uh, as we said last week, war is the ultimate in uh, the ultimate way to rob a society of its liberty. 
Presidential war undermines fundamental values of our representative democracy. In no part of the Constitution, Madison wrote in 1793, is more wisdom to be found than in the clause which confides the question of war or peace to the legislature and not to the executive department, where otherwise the trust and the temptation would be too great for any man. Now, if you go back to the end of the Roman Republic, there was a moment where Caesar crossed the Rubicon. Uh, Caesar had been uh, fighting the Gauls, and he had won two wars against the Gauls, and he had basically secured modern-day France for the Roman Empire, and he was seen as a hero. And his rise was very rapid, and his he was very ascendant. And so as a way to keep him from becoming emperor, they put him in what was called a triumvirate, which uh, basically included Caesar, the wealthiest man, and the most powerful politician in Rome. And the three men ruled, and then one died of mysterious circumstances, and then the other resigned with mysterious circumstances, and Caesar was the last of the triumvirate to stand, and there was a moment where he was marching the armies up to Rome and threatening the Roman Senate. And everyone knew that if Caesar crossed the Rubicon, this river that separated Caesar's troops from the Roman Republic, that they would become an em- that they he would become emperor, that they would no longer be a republic, the a long 500-year death of the Roman Republic would have come to an end. And Caesar crossed the Rubicon, he seized the reins of power, and that's when you started having Roman emperors. So I ask my two friends sitting around the table today, uh, when you look at American foreign policy, and pre-World War II, pre-Cold War, I should say, we were non-interventionist except for our uh, crazy adventures in Latin America, and we didn't want to go into World War I or World War II, but then during the Cold War... There was justification to become a military power. We were balancing another superpower. Then we became the lone superpower. But even up until 9-11, we didn't, we, we didn't have the... Uh, bombing in Yemen would have been an absolute outrage in any other generation. Uh, if this passes, and if Congress doesn't regain its powers... Instead of saying, this is a really scary moment where here's a man who will bomb other countries to make himself look good on Twitter, let's give him more power anyways. Do you think that that is a Rubicon that we pass, we never quite recover from it, and we spiral out of control with massive debts because of entitlements and overspending across the world? Or... Is this a moment where Congress really needs to get its shit together and start reining things in? I guess that's kind of the same answer. There's only one answer here. I think we passed it years ago. Okay. I mean, unless Congress steps up and does its job, there's there's no reason why we even need the Congress anymore. If the president can just write, I mean, they haven't passed a budget, so they're not they're just taking whatever the president wants and making that the budget and continuing mm-hmm. resolutions. They're not reining in his power for. Um, for war powers, they're giving him more. In that article, you say that they list the the, uh, the they they narrow it by listing the groups that um, he can attack. Except that there's also provision in there. If you read that, the president can add more groups to the list as right. he chooses. Yeah, I mean it, it's just basically giving him power that the Constitution specifically forbade him to have. Right. So, and the, but the problem is, is that we've tried to use the courts to stop this. 
it was it was tried in in the Iraq War. They uh, said that he didn't have the power because the that that Bush didn't have the power to do it because the UN Resolution One Four Four One was required another resolution. So they actually there were people who sued to try to stop the war from happening, and the court said that only Congress can assert that it has been that its uh, powers have been violated. So they have to be the ones to stop it. They have to be the ones that go to the court to stop it. They have to be the ones that go to the, the president and stop it. The people can't do it. So unless the people are putting in the people in Congress who are going to reassert the power that they're supposed to they're supposed to be doing, and, and eventually it, it, it actually falls on us because we keep sending people in there who aren't, then we're basically becoming a king, uh, an emperorship. I would say that the people do play some role. I think that a large reason why we didn't go into Syria, we didn't go into Libya in very significant ways under Obama is that social media was a very powerful tool. It stopped it. The media wasn't for it because it was very clear during Obama that we had absolutely no will as a people to go fight these wars. Uh, and I'd still say we're there. And the odd thing it's is, on the ground, I think, yeah. yeah, but as we talked hilariously, Americans feel that they should intervene in other countries and in, in, in these humanitarian crises. Mm-hmm. But they feel the way that we should do it is by dropping bombs. Right. Like 60 percent of people feel that's the way to solve the problem mm-hmm. to help other countries is to use the mil- our military. Uh, which is not the not the way to do it. Yeah, which is an organization uh, that blows stuff up and kills things. Right, but I think there is some. If we were a little more organized, and the left anti-war movement actually hadn't been asleep for the last eight years, I think there still would be, uh, like having a, a democratic president, especially a Nobel Peace Prize winning anti-war president like Obama, mm-hmm. completely buy into all of this and have. You know, peace advocates like Samantha Power become UN ambassador, mm-hmm. and all of his people who had been prominent in the anti-war movement Done. switch sides. Mm-hmm. Completely broke the will of the anti-war left. Right, but the public opinion, I think, is still there. Yeah, yeah. When you got Nobel Peace Prize winners bombing Nobel Peace Prize winners, <laughs> um, I, I kind of feel you with that. I also think that I think this whole Trump is the Rubicon. Uh, it could be because Trump is so ridiculous in the way that he does stuff and so ridiculous. You would think, you would think that, you know, them trying to do all this, they would talk about this like, wait, 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 wait. You want to give this to Trump. Not right. only the president, just, just, just say Trump. You want Trump to have this ability. But you can see that they, that the people there, they've, they've seen, they, they look past Trump. You know, Congress has looked past him. Like, no, no, no. He's only going to be here for so long. We're going to be here forever. He's going to be gone. Right. You know, and... Well, there I I listen to a lot of, like, the foreign policy think tank podcasts, like the Council on Foreign Relations, the Brookings people. And I heard one say today uh, on this specifically, um, on the AOMF, like, the United States and the world, like... If if America is not engaged in the world and is unpredictable and can't be counted on mm-hmm. for four years, America's in it's so entrenched in the fabric of the world order as it is that four years isn't going to really hurt it. Now let's say he gets eight years. Mm-hmm. All right, then we're kind of getting into a problem. But he said, you know, if we get a, a 
uh, a third straight term of a non-interventionist, an isolationist, as he said, then the world will really be in trouble and will not think that they can count on America. And that's when other countries will start acting in what they see as their self-interest, and they will start acting up in ways that will not be beneficial to American uh, foreign policy in America's interests. Okay, so that that can be a convincing case from a globalist perspective, but uh, I I think they have to step back and look at the group thing that they have and go, uh, this is actually the best thing that can happen, right? <laughs> because yeah. America needs to focus on itself. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, like you tell me, like all right, so these countries are going to start looking in their best interest, their best interest. Then you what? You think they want this war? Then right? Think they want all this destruction, this dirt, this this these bombs? No. If they start acting in their own best interest, you're right. Maybe that is the best thing for them. Right. If if the United States starts to get, pull their fingers out of so many different countries, tell them they can't do this, and they can't do that, and just let them unhinge, let them do what they need to do to get them out of the muck that they are in. Right. You know, and let you know, and let you know, basic, basic economics, you know, take control and let it fix everything. Mm-hmm. Did you watch the video that we talked about the uh, um, the intercept video about the uh, Iraq and the build up to Iraq? The, oh, the build up video. Of yeah. Blood. yeah, that was ridiculous. Yeah, I mean that that's really what we're talking about a little bit. Is yeah. that video shows so well using footage from back in the fifties and sixties when we first started getting involved in Iraq? Uh, what are trying to fix problems that we invent? create bigger problems that we then try to fix which create bigger problems we didn't try to fix we we've been doing this to that area of the world for so many years for 60 70 years now brandon you're burying the lead some of these people don't listen to the uh, don't come to the awesomeness which is low-key <laughs> wall which they wouldn't be informed on this video in the intercept video uh, well uh, so, so the, yeah the intercept video is uh, it's on youtube now it's called legacy of blood and it's a, it's a really great uh it's like a thirty-minute video. And yeah, it just, thirty minutes. And it, they call it the brief history of intervention in, in Iraq, and it, it, it's it, they could go into a lot more detail, I'm sure. But it's great seeing the the news footage, the video, the mm-hmm. the reels that they used to roll from the fifties and sixties, so you can see what they were saying at the time and how we just manipulated that whole region right yeah. into where it's at. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's basically a Ron Paul speech, but with photos of what you know well, what he's talking. Yeah, they about. used to be a very secular country, and then because of the interventions and the and the, the overthrowing of of rulers, we turned them into jihadists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you have the realization that there's two groups of uh, religious people who hate each other in the same country that were fine with each other because when it was secular, <laughs> and now they're fighting over who's going to be in control, and they just turned it into a bloodbath. What's the yep. name of that video? Uh, Legacy of Blood, or the brief history of U.S. intervention in Iraq okay. it's by The Intercept, yep. and it's on YouTube. Yep, and it, yeah, it's a very like a, and it's, going through the video, you'll eventually like well have to hit stop and have to go back because <laughs> like because even watching it, you're like, I don't believe this. This can't mm-hmm. be this way. This is this is the Middle East. This is in the Middle East. This is yeah because you know, like, especially myself, like I'm only um, going to be 33 on Saturday. You know, I've only known the Middle East as one way. There's bombing. You know, uh, all these women yeah, up Arafat in the, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. The women are up in his jobs. You don't do anything. But this video, nope, nope, no. No, women were driving cars and mm-hmm. and and in in not total positions of power, but they had some positions. And they had great schools there. A lot of the great engineers are coming out of that area. Mm-hmm. 
I will put this video in our show notes, and I've uh, tweeted that out. Uh, it's 34 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, another great uh, documentary that I've recommended in the last episode, but I'll recommend again, is The Secret History of the United States by Oliver Stone, which kind of documents the beginning of the Cold War and then the long history of American interventionism across the seas. It's, a, it's several episodes, but it's so well done, so interesting. And you will get a complete history education that you never had. Uh, I recommended a book by Chalmers Johnson's, uh, Johnson called The Sorrows of Empire. Now, this information is out there. It's just not something that you've heard. And it's because... The the people in power have a vested interest in keeping what's what Dwight Eisenhower, the president and the former uh, four-star general, called the military-industrial complex. We are a major supplier of weapons of war. We supply, along with Russia and China, the guns that fight all the wars that you read about or don't read about in the New York Times. Um, we are responsible for in our minds, keeping the world on balance. That if we withdraw and that we don't keep people balanced, that if we leave places, then the balance will tip too far into chaos. Mm -hmm. I would argue that we're causing a lot of the chaos. And we talked about that in the last week with Syria, where if it's it's a delicate balance, where if you bomb too much of Assad's and Russia and Iran's assets... Then you tip the balance towards the uh, democratic, the the rebel groups that we supposedly sort, and uh, then and let's be honest, these rebels that you read about, they're jihadists. They're they're just playing nice with Americans. It's like the Pakistanis during the uh, Afghan war. The Pakistanis said, "Yes, we're with you. We're not against you." They got billions of dollars in aid, all while they are completely betraying us and helping and hiding the Taliban and Osama bin Laden the entire time, even to the point that they're saying he's on dialysis. Did you know that he was never on dialysis? Mm -hmm. That was just a rumor that was spread by ISI and al-Qaeda in a way to keep us from sniffing him out. It was a a complete falsehood. There were so so many false stories at that time. The stories on both sides of it were, were amazingly just bought and and not even looked into by anybody. So there are costs, as we talked last Tuesday, there are costs to being a Mm non-interventionist. And there are going to be things that happen when we leave these countries that are not necessarily good for America, like the devolving of uh, Afghanistan into a narco state and run by the Taliban isn't good for Americans' in- interest. But that's happened while we've been managing the country for 15 years. It's like the people who are like, you know, I just really want poor people to be fed. I just don't want there to be poor people. That's why I believe we should have more government. It's like more people are poor and more people are dying because the government exists. It's like, look at all the tragedies that happen because of governments. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 here's a great example. Uh, did you, either of you see 60 Minutes this week? No, not. Okay. 60 Minutes had the most devastating piece on a company I've ever seen in my life. It was about Allegiant Air, which is a budget airline founded by the guy who used to run Value Jet, which mm-hmm. closed down after it crashed in the Everglades. You might remember that, Reinhold. Uh, and, you know, that was back in the 90s, 96, I think. And so he started Allegiant Air, and it is 
a fleet of a hundred planes that are second hand from overseas. They're hundred engine failures uh, like over the last few years. Like people are in the industry going this these these people should not be in business. The the guy who was part of the National Transportation Board said, I tell my friends and family not to fly Allegiant, had on a, a woman who was in the FFA. Oh, yeah, we don't. I tell my people uh, the, in the FFA, not in the future Farmers of America. <laughs> uh, in the FAA, don't fly. And Steve Croft, at the very end of this 60 Minutes piece, if you want to hear the statement for yourself, go to the end of the piece in the second segment where he goes, So this is an open secret in the industry. This is an open secret in the government. This is an open secret in the Transportation Safety Commission. This is an open secret in the FAA, and nobody talks about it. And the woman says, yes, it's one of those things that when a tragedy happens, everyone will say, we knew it, we just didn't do anything about it. Oh, my God. So your government that is in charge Mm -hmm. of keeping you safe knows for a fact that it's not safe to fly on Allegiant and doesn't do shit about it. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yep. Okay, there's thousands of there's hundreds of people in the war, in the in the country that have some responsibility to speak up and they don't because of their own self-interest. And it's like that in every form every area of government, the FDA, the the mm-hmm. drugs that we're talking about, the food that they're supposed to be taking care of. It there's so many examples of, of government not being able to do what they say that they're going to do, and their solution to fix it is we need more money, we need to expand and have more power. Right. Right. You go go listen to our, and by the statistics, not a lot of you did, go back and listen to our episode with Mary Ruwer, Regulation, Death by Regulation on the FDA. That's a great example of why government doesn't work. Did you know that the AIDS crisis was made worse by the government? It killed more people, mm-hmm. and and we explain that in that. Um, so, well, and a great example I always use is the. So we have a lot of electronics equipment in here, but we don't have a government agency overseeing the safety of all that electronic equipment. Right. We have underwriters, laboratories who does this. Right. This is not a government agency. This is a private organization, mm-hmm. and they ensure the safety of all the electronic equipment in the country. Right. Uh, you can choose not to buy something that's been UL tested, but right. most people have decided that they want to have that. And most companies, and it works. most companies want to participate yeah. in that. They, they mm-hmm. go, they send their stuff, they have it tested. If they find out there's a problem with it, they get the stuff back, fix it, and send it back in for testing. Why can't we do this with the with the FDA? Yeah. Why does it have to be a government agency where you start instilling politics into things that are supposed to be protecting us? And it's the same with foreign intervention. Mm-hmm. There's unintended consequences. Yes, you think that you are doing good, but you're actually not doing good. Yeah. Uh, go back and listen to our episode with George. Let me, I know you want to say something, Harry. I'll look up that episode, and then I'll make my point. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, the, the, um, but it's also when you bring up food. Um, for a long time, that was in the food service industry. And, you know, the government does the you know, health inspections. My favorite game, you know, with myself and my uh, buddy, Eddie, we like to go to, like, restaurants. Like, he got me playing this game. He liked to go. We like to go to restaurants and play the game, spot the health code violations. But. Spot them. And, like, we can, like, some people actually have told us to shut up because we will just start naming them out. We've, 
we, because we'll just see things like, yep, that guy didn't wash his hand after handling money. He's got no gloves on. There's no hairnet there. Um, there's no soap next to the, the dishwasher sink. You know, and it's. <laughs> and if you think <laughs> of all the different go, That's too. so warm. That's <laughs> clearly over. That's that's in the danger zone there. And it, it was like, what are you doing? Like, there's, you know, I don't think we should eat here. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like. I was, waiting on, out again. I was waiting on a bathroom at Burger King, mm-hmm. and the guy clearly didn't wash his hands. It's working the drive-through. I was like, I, I left. I didn't eat. Yeah, um, yeah. But like the the, the government handles of the, the, the there's not a private or, organization that goes around it. Now there's yeah. some it, there's some businesses that have their own. Like um, um, when Marsh Supermarkets used to be a thing when it was big <laughs> here in Indiana, right. they had their own internal health inspector. Hmm. That worked for Marsh, and they would go around to every Marsh on property. Right? She was more stringent and more. <laughs> That's she, how Chipotle is now. Yeah, because she would just the, uh, stay with you and would go through you. But the cool thing with that one was, was if she noticed a problem, right? Not only did you you did get in trouble for it, but Marsh would send like, no, 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 that's an issue. Send somebody to clean that up. Right. Clean that up. It was neat. It was awesome. Well, it was. It was a. Uh, a commitment by the company that they were going to do this, follow yeah. this, right? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah and I'm, if you have people committed like that, you don't need government to take care of them. It's, right, it's the mm-hmm. people who don't that people worry about. Right. Yeah. So the the second half of episode two forty seven, we talked to a guy named George, where George was served in Afghanistan and basically was saying, like, we're wasting our time there. Like, it's it's not even the the movie. Uh, and I'll put it in the show notes. I think it's um it's the one with Brad Pitt on Netflix. Uh, it's like Man of War, Dogs oh, of War. Yeah, okay. and, um, Do- I don't know which one, yeah. Yeah, Dog War Horse or something. War something. I'll put it in the next War Dogs? War, no. That's I, the other one with the, I think yeah. it might be War Dogs. I'll put it in the thing, but it's it's. I'll put it in the show notes. But it basically follows like a, like a Stanley McChrystal outline where like this reporter goes over and covers them and then they get fired. But like it's this whole cycle of this general that goes to Afghanistan and then it's just... All the ways that absolutely nothing will change and the Afghan government's getting rich off of the Americans. Mm -hmm. If you listen to the foreign policy establishment, the people that are supposed to be the experts that Donald Trump is supposed to listen to, that that inform all the people on the Sunday shows that are wringing their hands, oh my gosh, he's an isolationist. You know, Ben Shapiro listens to these people. and, And they have this conventional wisdom of, you know, America has to be a force for good in the world, and that if we are not, then the world will be unstable. But then when you actually, like, get into the weeds and you start listening to, like, the foreign policy events mm-hmm. from Brookings or the Council on Foreign Relations or the Atlantic Council, all these different groups, they all uh, admit all the time, this isn't working. What's, mm-hmm. What we're doing here isn't working. What we're doing here isn't working. What we're doing in this country isn't working. This strategy isn't working. We need, a, but we need a better strategy, or we need to do something different, or we're just there's we're 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 fucked in in Syria. But we have to we have to be in these countries. Yeah, or like, just read what the people that are attacking the United States are doing things against <laughs> the United States of what they're saying. We are right. attacking you because you're here on our soil. Right. You know, Osama bin Laden is a lot of things, but he wasn't a liar. Uh, Osama bin Laden basically gave three warnings. Uh, there's a great book by Ali Soufan called The Black Banners, uh, which the audiobook's really good. Uh, and, and so Ali Soufan was the lead Arabic-speaking FBI agent chasing down bin Laden the years up, at, up until 9-11 and after. And he's featured in the TV show The Looming Tower, 
based on the Lawrence I've been Wright looking book. Looking at. Look, checking that out. I oh, saw dude. it on Netflix. I was like, so good. Mm. It's on Hulu. Oh, Hulu, yeah, Hulu. Right, yeah. It's really, really good. And so, based on that TV mm-hmm. show, I was like, you know, I really don't know much about the years leading up to nine eleven. I'll go read his book, and which is really well written and interesting. And the CIA completely destroyed the. The CIA was completely at fault for nine eleven. By the way, uh, which we'll get to later. Yeah, the way they were but, at fault for letting it happen. Right, and so what. Uh, what were we talking about? What was my point even? Um, oh, I'm getting so old. Three warnings from Three Osama warnings from bin Laden. bin Laden. And so bin Laden, basically, he says in Islam, you have to give them three warnings. And so the, he, there's the declaration of war in 96. And he warned us three times. He was, And the final warning was when he did an interview on uh, with a news station. I think it was uh, John Miller on CBS or CNN. And Sufan was like, uh-oh. That's the third warning because he knew the Quran inside and out mm-hmm. and he tried to like say, hey, <laughs> and then that's when the Nigerian embassy bombings happened um, in 98. And so in all of o- Osama bin Laden's statements, mm-hmm. he is listing the things that America is doing that is causing him to feel the need to fight back. Mm-hmm. Okay, now this is a person who was funded by the CIA and the Congress mm-hmm. when he was Mujahideen fighting the, the Soviets in Afghanistan in the 80s. But once the Soviets left, he's like, okay, now the Americans should leave. And we well, didn't. Part of the problem there, too, was we fought Iraq in 91. Right. In order to do that, we had to have American ships, American troops in what they consider... Mecca. Yeah, we built three bases in their holy land. That's mm-hmm. what set him off to, yeah. against the United States. Yep. We have an enormous base in Bahrain, mm-hmm. Qatar. Uh, so, yeah, we're in but all 91, these countries. Like I said, 91 Iraq then caused 9-11. Yeah. 91 Iraq was caused by actions we took you know, years before. You, yep. you could trace all this back to the Treaty of Versailles. You go back to... <laughs> you go back <laughs> to amazing. Uh, yeah. Katub. Uh, so I'm reading Lawrence Wright's new book mm-hmm. called The Terror Years, and he profiles uh, Zarqawi, who was kind of the spiritual leader of, right. and he's still alive, of uh, 9-11. He, and Al-Qaeda, he was the guy with always had like the white turban, kind of the grandfatherly looking mm-hmm. guy that was always mm-hmm. with bin Laden. And he was deeply inspired by a guy named Katub, who was a writer in Egypt. Zarqawi is uh, yeah, a lot of them Egyptian. Were. It's all it all based back to him. So Katub, who was this Islamic scholar in the sixties and seventies, revered America, loved America. And then he went to America to study, was so disgusted by our culture that he came back and became and then he came became a radical. Well the the, was, the story is it, it was at a dance at yes, the college. Yeah. He was at a dance, he saw men and women dancing too close together and he cited this right. is the evil Satan, and he started writing books. If you go to look at any jihadist in, in the Middle East, his books are on their bookshelf. Mm. Yeah, and it, this was 50s culture. Like, we're mm-hmm. not talking about, like, yeah, I mean, if he saw Disco 70s or something. Uh, you know. uh, he saw Miley Cyrus. I mean, please, but. Or heard uh, Genuine's Pony. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that was uh, I, I saw that on CNN, too. Somebody was talking about that, too, telling that story. Um, and I went and looked it up. It's an interesting one that 
like we were talking about before, in the 50s and 60s in in Iraq, in Iran, it was just like it is anywhere, was anywhere else. I yeah. mean, it was everybody was getting along. It was all uh, secular. There was no no issues going on. And then, you know, the intervention th- kind of thing started to happen. And this guy wrote this book. They were upset because of what was happening and what right. we were influencing in. They went to look at this guy as, you know, a source. So it's just like you, you could say the same things about certain leaders in the United States that's, that have gotten popular because people were so de- downtrodden or had some issue that they reached out for that type of mentality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Zarakawi was deeply influenced by the Ayatollah Khomeini. And and he said that was a that was a glorious moment for people like me because we had Nasser, we had the Jordanians and the Saudi Arabians, and everybody was secular. Saddam Hussein was secular, but then when you had Zarqawi come along, and he instituted a an Islamic republic based on Sharia law, mm-hmm. well then that was a game changer because then he was like, oh, it is possible to be the head of a government and to form a government. And so it, I mean he wouldn't have gotten into power either except that the puppet we put in charge of of that country was brutalizing their people and right. we looked the other way. Right. So they had an uprising and threw him out and threw in this leader because he was promising to take care of him and it was a secular it was a religious one and that's how that all got started. It's, well, yeah, Iran was on the uptick in the mm-hmm. 50s and they had started to really make money on oil mm-hmm. and it was a very secular society. Persians are not uh, Persians are much different like don't confuse Iran with Saudi Arabia. Like mm-hmm. they have much different mores and values uh and then we we overthrew their government, their very popular elected figure, who I don't know his name, and instituted the Shah of Iran, mm-hmm. which led to his downfall uh, and then the institution of the Ayatollah. So, uh, yes, look, watch this stuff. Like, you just yeah. got to educate yourself. Because yeah, I, was in, when, I was in high school when that happened, and it was just like a big deal, and nobody understood what was going on? Because they, they weren't teaching that or talking about. Why, there was, why do they hate it? There's no sources. I was 18 when nine. I was yeah. literally. I had been 18 for two days when 9/11 happened, and it's like, why do they hate us? Yeah, why do they do this? And I had two friends who their their dad was head as the uh, of ISNA, the Islamic Society of North America, uh, the Saeed brothers. Musa Saeed is actually a great documentary filmmaker. Now he was my best friend, one of my best friends in in high school. Uh, we're not we're not really in touch because he literally travels the world documenting the experience of Muslims around the world from Brooklyn to Kashmir to India to I think uh, in parts of the Middle East. And he basically like he was like, uh, I mean, my family's from Kashmir and you guys are on both sides of the conflict selling guns to the people that are basically killing the Kashmiris. Be, which is this highly contested region between India and Pakistan mm-hmm. because you guys drew a line in India and created Pakistan, so mm-hmm. meaning the West. This goes back to World War II, which goes back to Sykes Treaty of Versailles and Sykes Peacock and the Balfour Declaration with the creation of Israel, which, mm-hmm. you know, the even Dean Rusk and the creation of North Korea. So you have to go back in history, and you're not taught these things because it's 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 not popular to teach it if i were to it's it's like um it's like evolution versus intelligent design if you it, teach both <laughs> let pe- let kids decide 
instead of saying, no, you must only teach this one or you must only teach this one. And so when you start talking about non-interventionism, people get very uncomfortable because you're it's it comes down to nationalism okay the human brain hates chaos and loves order we don't like chaos we like predictability and we like the stability of our country and we like the order that nationalism and patriotism brings to us so we are we have a beat into our heads and so that's why it's almost like if you question these things you hate your country you hate america I don't like I've read Washington's farewell address. Mm -hmm. I read you that quote from Madison. Non-interventionism is American. It is patriotic. The most patriotic thing in the world is to not have a standing army because you're not sending Americans to go over and die, which causes more Americans to go fight and die, which causes more Americans to go fight and die which then bankrupts us. Final thought on this for me, and then I'll let you two speak. Uh, but Osama bin Laden, here was his strategy. I'm going to commit a terrorist atrocity so big that America has to act. And they will overreact. Because in every single case where I have tested them in the World Trade Center 93 in the coal bombing, in the Nigerian bombing, they overdo it. So I'm going to do something so big that it will draw them into an entanglement in the Middle East, draw them into Afghanistan, the place where I personally defeated the USSR, and I know they can never win. I'm going to get them into a quagmire, and I'm going to bleed them financially. I'm going to rob them of their uh, har harmony, and I'm going to wreck the society from the inside based on their choice. Does it sound like we let Osama bin Laden win? We did. Because we we're looking. We definitely did. I've said this for yeah. years. He won. We, he won. They he won. won. The terrorists yeah. won 9-11. Yeah. He won. Yep. Because we have allowed our presidents and our congressmen and ourselves to buy into perpetual war. And we've given up our privacy, we've given up our data, we've given up uh, millions of dollars, tens of thousands of Americans' lives, millions of lives around the world, and we've only 20 years later found ourselves more entangled, more broke, more divided, more scared, and more afraid. That's the whole thing. It's all about fear. Everybody is scared. So scared that they're willing to do all that. It used to be that the idea, the mantra of the, of the country was there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Right. Mm -hmm. When did that happen? Well, when did that go away? Right. 9-11. Well, probably before that. Yeah, but yeah, right. it's, that's when it was pretty much put to bed. Now you, you have to go through all these checkpoints to get into TSA, you get all these checks here. You get, people well, are giving up their rights for everything just because they feel a little safe. The right. Oklahoma City bombing, yeah. You know, and Benjamin Franklin just, you know. Those who give up their freedoms for security deserve neither. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was going to say, like, the Oklahoma City bombing, they changed all kinds of rules in front of federal buildings, oh, yeah. which made it a heck to park in downtowns anyways because they put federal buildings and stuff like that everywhere down. Well, most built around them. Yeah. I mean, those were original buildings, like, mm -hmm. in Indy. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're in the middle of the city because that's where the city was. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it makes it hell down there. 
Yeah. Uh, so speaking of corroding ourselves from the inside, let's talk about Palantir Technologies. Uh, so this, it, there's a longer story from Bloomberg, which was uh, in their magazine that I will post that you got to read. I mean, I printed it out on small type. It's eight pages. I'm obviously not going to read that to you. Uh, I mostly just want to alert you to this story, give you a little of information, and say go find out this information on your own because I think it's important for you to understand. Uh, Palantir Technologies, Peter, this is, again, working off of the Daily Beast. Palantir working with local police, ICE, for federal funding. Peter Thiel's data mining company, Palantir, has been working with local police forces and ICE for federal funding, including giving law enforcement information to identify and deter people likely to commit crimes and preemptively stop them. Uh, Let me read that again. They are working with Palantir and local police departments are working to, quote-unquote, identify and determine people likely to commit crimes and preemptively stop them. Palantir started working with the LAPD in 2009 on a system that generates a list of people the department defines as chronic offenders. The list is given out to officers and are told to stop or monitor these chronic offenders, including often using jaywalking or fix-it tickets as an excuse. Uh, One man claims he's been stopped more than a dozen times since then. Uh, So think of what was the show that uh, Jim Caviezel did where it was like the network. It might still be on CBS uh, where it was like the network of uh, uh, persons of interest. It was a really good show. Persons of interest. If you've never seen it, it's it's basically a documentary. I think they had the final season. They wrapped up that season. It's it's a great show. I love it. It never Um, looked interesting to me. It's good. Um, I figured you'd like it. Cause that, it's all about computers and technology and, and trying to pinpoint data points yeah. in order to find out if somebody is going to commit a crime or not. It's very hmm. interesting. So I never got that from the trailers. So that's why I never yeah, looked. It, it's, hard, it's a hard yeah. sell to the general public. I think. You, you'd love it. Okay. Yeah. All right. uh, it, for well, thanks. Geek, that's what I need. Some more shows. For dorks <laughs> like us, we'd love it. So this is from the Bloomberg article. Founded in 2004 by Peter Thiel and some fellow PayPal alumni, PayPal uh, was founded by Peter Thiel, Elon Musk. Uh, Thiel was a a Trump supporter. Uh, He's the one that brought down uh, the Gawker empire after he was outed by Gawker, uh, which, good for him. And Hulk Hogan. And Hulk Hogan's sex tape. Palantir cut his teeth working for the Pentagon and the CIA in Afghanistan and Iraq. The company's engineers and products don't do any spying themselves. They're more like the spy's brain, collecting and analyzing information that's fed in from the hands, eyes, nose, and ears. The software combs through disparate data sources, financial documents, airline reservations, cell phone records, social media postings, and searches for connections that human analysts might miss. If then... Then uh, it then presents the linkages in colorful, easy to interpret graphics that look like spider webs. U.S. spies and special forces loved it immediately. They deployed plant, planet uh, Palantir to synthesize. I keep thinking planter like planters warts. Uh, Palantir to <laughs> synthesize and sort the blizzard of battlefield intelligence. It helped planners avoid roadside bombs, track insurgents for assassinations, and even hunt down Bin Laden. The military success led to federal contracts on the civilian side. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services uses Palantir to detect Medicare fraud. The FBI uses it in criminal probes. The Department of Homeland Security deploys it to screen air travelers and keep tabs on immigrants. 
Police and sheriff's departments in New York, New Orleans, Chicago, and L.A. have also used it, frequently ensnaring the digital dragnet, dragnet people who aren't su suspected of committing any crime. Uh, people and objects pop up on the Palantir screen inside boxes connected to other boxes by irradiating lines labeled with the relationship colleague of, lives with, operator of cell number, owner of vehicle, sibling of, or even lover of. If the authorities have a picture, the rest is easy. Tapping databases of driver's licenses and ID photos, law enforcement agencies can now identify more than half the population of U.S. adults. J.P. Morgan, Chase Bank, which I use, uh, was effectively Palantir's R&D lab and test bed for a four-year foray into the financial sector via a product called Metropolis. The two companies make an odd couple. Palantir software engineers showed up at the bank on skateboards. Harry would have been very mad. Neckties and haircuts were too much to ask, but J.P. Morgan drew the line at T-shirts. They go on to talk about a major breach and Palantir collecting financial information. So essentially, we've talked a lot about Section 702 and domestic spying and all of the things that Edward Snowden found, things like PRISM and how they're collecting all the metadata. They claim metadata, mm -hmm. which is what server sent what message to what server. But now we know that they collect the contents right. as well as the metadata of every phone call, every text message, every social post, every Facebook message, every email, every single communication online around the entire world, the United States spying apparatus collects. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of information that you've got to really comb through in a, in a short amount of time because you've got to be nimble to catch them terrorists. Palantir is the one that networks all of that together, scans the data, and figures all of that out. Palantir was funded by the CIA. That is not a conspiracy. It is in the article in Bloomberg. It is in the article in the New York Times. The CIA has a funding company a startup uh, fund mm -hmm. that they use to invest in companies like Palantir. Another one, Oracle. Oracle. Oracle does what? Databases. Databases. Yep. What's a database do, Harry? Databases is relationship lookups. It makes uh, things searchable. Right. So it stores a lot of information. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. They also do. Yeah. So I imagine if you had access to Oracle, you had access to a lot of information around the world. Mm -hmm. So Palantir... Well, Go ahead. I was just saying, like, it, the, well, Oracle makes it all searchable, so you can find it. Right. They, they use the other programs to find everything, and they use Oracle to store it correctly. So now we're at the but, point where Palantir is deploying the weapons they created for war, the digital information products that they created for war, they're now using for criminals. And who are the criminals? Every single person listening to this podcast. Just like, just like yeah. all that leftover equipment from the... Gulf Wars, where did all that equipment end up? If it wasn't in the hands of ISIS, it's in the hands of your local police department. As outlined in Rise of the Warrior Cop by Radley Balco. Happy birthday today, Radley Balco. Uh, Hello, Radley Balco. He writes for the Washington Post now. Great writer. Yeah. Uh, Follow him on Twitter. He's great. And so this is the problem with perpetual war is it builds this infrastructure called the military-industrial complex. It makes a business out of war. And then a lot of people get their financial interests involved 
with working or having their community supported by things that are involved in the military-industrial complex and overseas wars. Do you think that Boeing wants to see an end to the Afghanistan war? Hell no. All the, all the flights that, that the military takes back and forth with equipment, let alone the fighter jets that cost tr- trillions of dollars a year. Maintenance parts. Right. Maintenance parts. Clearly, the maintenance parts aren't going to Southwest. So. Right. Let alone well, a legion. As I understand, Southwest was getting those parts, getting those engines redone in um, another country. Um, the, the problem, I mean, we have a police state now. Right. I mean, that's just the reality. Even when we weren't in constant war, I remember that time. I know a lot of people don't. And there was a chart that somebody put out recently that I shared that basically showed the amount of time of your life that you've been under perpetual war based off the year you were born. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So there was a time where we didn't do all of this stuff a lot. I mean, we, we were coming out of Vietnam. I remember the end of right. Vietnam. And then we were kind of doing stuff but we were i mean we had beirut we had things with reagan but even when we tried to close down bases then mm-hmm. the, the argument you heard was all these people are going to lose their jobs right the economy is going to tank because of it we have to keep it going we have to find something to do with this the 90s were an interesting time when clinton really tried to close a lot of bases mm-hmm. clinton did limited uh things in the military he also had a very bad relationship because of don't ask don't tell with the military uh, mm-hmm. and that and the fallout in the in the beginning of his term with that but yeah i mean you think back to you know reinhold maybe harry it, it can remember this but i just remember the amount of discussion that went into things like bosnia or even the bombing of an aspirin factory in iraq or the the limited strikes after nairobi I mean, those were big deals. Mm-hmm. I mean, and those are things that happen every single day it, with American power that you don't know about, that you don't read about, that are not discussed. And mm-hmm. I really think that debate in 2003 leading up to Iraq is really a, 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 the moment when we decided to give it up and just say, we're a military power, we're making no excuses for it, we're not even going to follow the Constitution and if you question us, you're anti-American. But that's the thing is we followed the Constitution. Right. That was the last time we've done it. It was 2003. Right. Um, I mean, so every, a lot of people think that so – there's some people who think 9-11 was to get us into the war with Iraq. Right. Which makes no sense because just a few months before 9-11, 50 to 60% of the people in the United States were for – going in and taking out Iraq. It was the it was the law of the land since 98. Right. When they were trying to get Bill Clinton to go do it. So, right. I mean, that's why that's one of the reasons why Bush was even elected was because he promised to go in and do something about it. Right. Right. So, that none, none of that made sense. We we were on a path to go into Iraq for a long time. Just 9/11 caused us to quit waiting around and go do it. Right. Yeah. Um, but we did it le- we did it well, there's questions about legally international law wise, but George Bush, say what you want about him, he went and got congressional approval mm-hmm. for both Afghanistan and Iraq. Right. It wasn't a formal declaration. It wasn't a declaration of war, but he at least went and got approval for it because right. because you don't need to do a declaration of war now because of the War Powers Act, which was years before him anyway. Right. But the War Powers Act does not give people. People think the War Powers Act gives the, the president 
the the ability to go into any situation as long as he's either out in 30 days or reports back to Congress. And that's not what it says. Mm. It says that they can go in if if there's a declaration of war. They can go. He can use the troops for if there is a uh, authorization from the from the Congress to do it, or if there is an emergency that impacts the United States self defense. Right, that's it. Right. It doesn't say for whatever he wants. Syria was not self defense. Right. There's no reason. There's, it doesn't fit that uh, the War Powers Act authorization. That, and that's why Obama. I mean, when the in 2013 that speech that we covered last week, mm-hmm. you know, Obama was it was a very constitutional speech in some ways where he's basically saying like. I think it is in our national interest, and we have to. It's in our national interest to uphold norms, but I don't believe that I should be the one to do it willy nilly. I need congressional approval. So, it, it, you know, Trump has not done, not even pretended. Pretended, yeah. There's, there's the the pretense, mm-hmm. like, and that's the thing about Bush. Like, starting with, it's. I mean, you could probably go all the way back, but really, Reagan was the first to start abusing a lot of these these constitutional protections against war. Clinton tried to follow a lot of it, but Americans were worn out. Uh, and then in Bush and Obama tried, they pretended mm-hmm. that they cared about the Constitution in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like, they would give lip service to it, but they would then violate the Constitution. Like, Trump, with Trump, that's just out the window. And that's what concerns me about the Trump you know, that's what concerns me and also makes me like him because he's not pretending. Mm-hmm. He's just telling us exactly what Hillary Hillary would have done the same thing, right. but she would have like covered up her intentions. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we're not even pretending anymore. Like we're then once you stop pretending, it's a very slippery, quick slope into. Ne- you're never able to cl- crawl back up that slippery slope. Uh, th- those norms are gone, and, well, and the faith—the faith in the office was going to be shot completely. Completely. Uh, all that stuff that was rebuilt up after Nixon. Yep. Uh, I would love. We'll talk about Philly D next Tuesday. Okay. Uh, uh we're not going to get to Gorsuch. I'm not going to get to cover it. Gorsuch did nothing wrong. Uh, I'm going to do. I actually, agree with the. Gorsuch. With Gorsuch, yeah. yeah. I think I think I'm I'm surprised that he's actually seeming to me to be very libertarian. Can so. you explain exact? Can you give a summation of what happened? Uh, well, there's, um, the ruling was that the the government can't make a law to, um, that's not that's not definitive enough, or right? it can't be too too vague about the the law. And that's and that's where Gorsuch came on and said that you know that that's unconstitutional to do that. Uh, and he was having an argument with um, Clarence Thomas because Clarence Thomas felt that it wasn't va- it wasn't that vague, right? So the the the, the law was that they could um, deport anybody based off of or illegally if if um, they had they had committed a violent crime, but they didn't define. And it wasn't just a violent crime, but it was also a, a crime that could lead to violence. Right. So it wasn't defined very well on what you mean by that, because you could almost take anything at that point. 
So then you can start just rounding up anybody you want. And as we've already seen, once you give the government a little bit of vagueness in anything, mm-hmm. they go full bore with sure. it. So what he ruled was is that was too vague of a definition, and so they kicked it back. Right. And I think Trump said that now Congress has to fix it and make it more, you know, make it constitutional and do it so right. he can get what he wants. But uh, in that regard, at least, I mean, that was the whole thing that Madison was about was that if the if the laws are too voluminous or too many for for the average person to follow and read, then you're just going to have a tyranny. Right. Uh, and on the Comey front, we didn't get to Comey this week, but I'm going to do a Chris Spangle show and break down and annotate his interview with uh, George Snuffleupagus. Uh, look for that sometime over the weekend. Uh, let's end this sucker. Let's end this week. Uh, lots and lots and lots of information in the shows this week. Lots going on, man. Like I, I, I trying to put together these two shows. I mean, and we spent last night talking about Russia and and the yeah. uh, nerve gas poisoning mm-hmm. and uh, I mean we so many things we we could have gone for for four or five yeah. hours. I've never even I've now. never even covered the UK. Yeah, the nerve agent thing. And yeah, going to the OPCW stuff. That yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's a lot. So much going on. So we're we're trying to make sure that we cover everything. We feel the duty to cover everything. So between the two wall shows, wall low key wall. And the Chris Spangle Show and the Brian Nichols Show, you're getting a complete view of politics. Uh, and you know, if you want to wade down into Henry County politics, you got the <laughs> Boss Hog of Liberty. <laughs> but uh, that's a very small amount of people that that are probably listening. Uh, so, trying to get it all, feel a duty to cover it and uh, enjoying the heck out of it. I am so thankful. Uh, that that you guys keep supporting us. Uh, that you guys keep donating. Uh, especially our hundred dollar a month subscribers, Brandon Luke, Christy Avery, Craig DeCosta, and Jason Doolittle. Uh, looking forward to having Craig, James, and um, Brandon on for the first time. Christy's going to come in and sit sit in on a, I think a Tuesday show. No, she wanted to sit in with Galt and us. Okay. Uh, but she needs computer help, so she'll probably be in on a Tuesday too. Uh, so she show up Liberty. Actually, she'll, she'll, she'll be there, be there tomorrow night. So yeah. so she'll be there with Won't be computer. The first time she's brought her laptop. Fix these. <laughs> fix this, and then give me ducks. Yeah. Uh, all right. So final <laughs> thoughts for the episode, please, Harry Price. Uh, let's see. I've got my notes here. Um, one thing I wanted to do in the chat someone was like Marsh went out of business. Marsh went out of business because Don Marsh uh, was selling it to. He sold everything to Sun Capital. Sun Capital then took everything that Marsh had and ran it all into the ground right. and sold all different bits of it. Marsh was very profitable, and they ran that, that ship into the ground. And once anyone tried to write that ship and kind of get Marsh back to was, it was too little too late because once the other um, grocers in the uh, in the Indianapolis area started to see the hole that Sun Capital made, they bought everything up, and other outside companies saw what um, – you know, Sun Capital opened up and they and they lost their, a massive foothold, and that's what was led to the downfall of Marsh. Hmm. When you start seeing a Kroger next to every Marsh, yeah, there's a reason for that. Well, yeah, businesses yeah. do that. Yeah, um, let's CVS see, and Walgreens. Marsh, across had, the street. Marsh won out and beat out the contracts for the catering at D- Deer Creek or Verizon or whatever it's calling itself, and and Lucas Oil Stadium. They beat out national chains for that thing. 
Sun Capital sold those contracts because hmm. Marsh won them. It was yeah. I was, oh yeah. This, yeah. Sorry, I was part of the company, so I watched all that crap happen. Uh, but you know, it's, it was also interesting being part of a company when all this stuff is going on. When you're like, "Woo, we could do all this stuff," and then you watch your budget just get smaller, <laughs> smaller, 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 right. smaller, smaller. Um, Still, Mishmarsh chicken salad. Oh yeah, so good. <sighs> Marsh was the, the grocery salad s- bar was great too. <sighs> right? was, that's Marsh, what you eat for dinner every night. Marsh yeah. was the ch- grocery store of my childhood. I'd ride my little bike up there. I'd buy CDs. I'd buy a six pack of Hershey's candy bars, Butterfingers. Mm-hmm. Hide them in my room so my mom wouldn't find them. Loved me some Marsh. God, I was a fat ass as a kid, too. And uh, let's see, Christian just said, said, I obviously just need to move into Spangler. And that's another reason why Spangler never wanted the studio to be a house or have it a separate bedroom, because that's its fear that you would move in, would leave. <laughs> I, I, I don't, like, as soon as the show is over, I want you all to leave. <laughs> I don't want you to hang out. We're not going to go hang out at Stack Pickle until 2 in the morning? No. Oh, I, right. I love you guys, and we catch up before the show. But after the show... Here's a here's a confession. Yeah, Mario Kart. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not playing Mario Kart. We're not going to talk. I Harry knows. I've never admitted this on the air. As soon as the show's over, I have to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Like there's something that just gets my innards working when I'm doing the show, and I'm like, I'm like, Harry, you got to go because I got to go. He expects me to leave while he's in the bathroom. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, and That's I'm rude. <laughs> To leave while you have to say goodbye to no, someone. No, 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 no. Get out. Get out. Christy, you're not invited to live with me, period. Uh, I will cancel your Patreon and block you on everything if you threaten to move in here with the hostile takeover of my apartment. Uh, I, I love Christy, uh, but you are not allowed to live here. Um, yeah, that's why I want a studio. I want separation. Mm-hmm. I want my dining room back. Like what The thing about the studio is it's... In my dining room, mm-hmm. it fortunately every girl has has been into the whole podcasting thing. Like they like, like they listen or they know that it's my passion. So it's not like a turnoff, but it, you it's know, your hook. I, yeah, I just I just want some you me have, time. Here. You have a perfectly good room over there that only gets like Harry, what? This is my bedroom. I'm not. <laughs> No, here's Harry has room that doesn't get any use. Reinhold can testify to this. Harry is a smart, smart man, but he comes up with some crazy dumb shit. He he at one point like so you see. I have to say, naming naming us all after Sailor Moon characters Uh yesterday. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I live in an apartment (laughs) that I rent, and Mm -hmm. he wanted me to drywall a wall. He wanted me to build a wall. A, a false wall. I have an open concept, and he wanted me to build a wall between my kitchen and my dining room. Or the other alternative was put your bed in your dining room and then turn your bedroom into, into the studio. Office, yeah. Right. See? Yeah. No. Yeah. Just, See? Yeah, that would have worked, right? I'm it speechless. I was spe- I, serious. I can't say anything because I was actually in a place where I decided that... Well, I wanted an office, and I work at a computer. When I work at a computer, I'm sitting down. Right. When I'm sleeping, I'm laying down. So why do I need all of this room over my bed? I put a loft. I built a loft over my bed mm-hmm. and put my desk and computer equipment up there so that I'd get up out of bed, go up there, and that was my office. Don't hate the idea, but what are you <laughs> renting? Uh, technically, I was renting. A friend of mine was buying the house, and I was renting from him, but okay. he didn't care. Was it a permanent structure? Oh boy! Well, well, the house was going under renovations. We okay. could get you a Murphy bed, okay? That just folds out out of the couch, just right out of the couch. 
Pull your bed out. You see this look I'm giving you? <laughs> I also want like a professional look. You know, like there, we really just need like the size of a conference room. Mm-hmm. We paint it black. We mm-hmm. hang black curtains. Black. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we and then we can do videos and then have like a nice little desk. Well, you want to paint it um, chroma key green. Well, one, one wall, the, the yeah. back wall there. Yeah, P- paint the wall green, but then mm-hmm. cover it with a black curtain. I don't think I mm-hmm. want to be on the show with a green background, like a solid green background. No. The memes would be on. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, no. Like, we'd, we'd put a black curtain over it. But we have big plans for what we want to do for a studio, but we're only going to do that if we get enough Patreon donations. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, after uh, after I get through traveling to the National Convention in Porkfest, Mm-hmm. Uh, and my brother's wedding in Vegas in the span of three months, then hopefully I'll be able to start kind of looking for something at the end of this year, early next year, mm-hmm. uh, and then it's going to be sweet. But I also know me, so like the second we move into a new studio, it's going to cost me another like $3,000 to renovate it or mm-hmm. something stupid, so I'm kind of holding off on it because I just don't, you know. Because you're going to get nuts. Right. Right, I, I want it to be perfect. I'm which, a perfectionist. Which I'm really hoping is that one place that I was looking at a few months ago. I wish that I hope that opens up. Uh, it's really, really cool. Yeah, this, this, this other spot that I've been trying to get to. Oh man, it's beautiful. You'll love it. I'm not, I haven't even showed you and sh- talked to you about it right. because you know the person that is on a, went to a month to month and they're still there. Oh. I've been checking on them, make sure they're still there. <laughs> Harry's yeah, driving just, by every oh, day, <laughs> giving the evil eye. Beautiful. 700 square feet plate. Oh, it's beautiful. All right. Final thoughts. More final thoughts, Harry. Um, don't forget, we've got the Liberty and Chill at the Stack Pickle in Southport tomorrow. It's going to be fun. Come out. Um, you know, gonna hang out for Liberty and Chill. It's going to be a little different because we're not at Triton, but, you know, I, you know, I had a, never got my Stack Pickle invite, so I had to make my own. Aaron, you were, you're not invited. Um, everyone <laughs> else is. Um, Everybody but Aaron. Everyone but him. And <laughs> let's see and um I've, and that's about it that's all i've got um i really had um so i can't i look forward to next tuesday to really talk about some the philly d stuff because i have been a huge philly d fan since the beginning yeah i'm an sxe phil fan as l- unless trump blows the world up we'll lead with uh some of the the <laughs> liberal censorship that is happening are you are you done yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're, they're also mentioned that there will be no low-key wall next week. Um, unless everything goes okay with my new job that I'm starting next week, um, um, I will probably be on just drinking and popping champagne, talking about how awesome it is. <laughs> and if it's not all awesome, I'll probably be on there just drinking sad and complaining about how <laughs> not awesome it is. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Harry. And Reinhold. Um. Not really much here other than if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, at Reinhold or at Reinhold TV for my Twitch media stuff that I do, gaming and stuff like that. Spell. Uh, Reinhold, R-H-I-N-E-H-O-L-D. Okay. Um, and that's uh, so that's Twitter and Twitch. I also have Reinhold TV. I'm sometimes streaming on there. We do D&D games on Saturday um, and some other games during the week uh, as I have time, so... Um, that's pretty much it. Cool. Well, thank you. You've been a great guest. Thank you. Harry, always great to, to be in the studio with you. Feels weird on a Thursday. I know. I feel like I was almost started promoting, what are you going to have on low-key wall tomorrow? Because I thought it was Tuesday. Uh, but it's, Oh, Libertarian uh, Party Convention. Prices go up tomorrow. So if you uh, want to get in tonight cheap. Yeah. National yeah. Convention? Tonight, yeah. State. 
Oh, yeah, stay LTIN. Tuned. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Two hours. Well, what is it? Yeah, because it's yeah. Friday. It happened. Friday. It happens. Right. So you have mm. to do it here in the next two hours. Two hours if you're listening live. <laughs> <laughs> you're listening live. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, yeah, I guess the, we've got some guests coming to uh, LPIN this uh, this year. So, yep. I think um, Bill Weld will be there and some other people. I haven't. Uh, I don't know if we has been announced yet. So, but there's gonna be a lot of great people there. So. All right, cool. Uh, for me, I am reading. I just got. Uh, I've had it on hold forever at the library. The electronic version of Dan Brown's Origins. Uh, never read any of Dan Brown's stuff, but this was uh, apparently the hot novel of of the year. I haven't read nonfiction. I was trying to think today. I cannot remember the last nonfiction book I read. Like it, it's legitimately like I cannot name the book. Like it would, it would almost be high school or college at this point. Nonfiction. Non uh, fiction. 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 Books, I'm sorry. Okay. Does gaming <laughs> books count? I wonder why you were looking at me. Weird. Yeah, I was just like, you read no. a lot of nonfiction books. Yeah. No, I was just starting to think of the. I thought you said fiction. I didn't even know yeah. you said. But yeah. like, I'm starting to think of like the last time I wrote a fiction book, and I'm think if a g RPG gaming book counts. No. Oh crap. Um, man, I think it's, it had to be the Harry Dresden Files. All that when those all came back came out. Almost a decade ago. Oof. Yeah. No, it's it's that been a, a long time. Yeah. Great TV show. Great TV show. Um, I, I think I, I think Ready Player One recently, uh, <laughs> before that movie came out, I had read it a couple years ago in yeah. Armada. I'm, I read a lot of, but I do it Kindle. I don't do, I haven't read a book in a okay. long time, but yeah, I'm, I'm patiently waiting for Game of Thrones to come out um, <laughs> since I started that series when it first book came out back in 90. So... I'm looking at my bookshelf, and I don't. I think the only, like, I don't consider the Odyssey or the classics fiction, uh, like like Greek, but I guess you could because it's not a nonfiction. But like, I have Charlotte's Web and The Giver, and uh, like some the dump, the trash can, and the Dump Queen by Jerry Spinelli, like books that meant something to me in my childhood. But yeah, I haven't read. A nonfiction book in forever, but the the Dan Brown Origins book is really interesting. It's about you know this uh, Peter Thiel, Elon Musk, crazy tech genius who tries to you know prove religion's not real, and it's a I don't know where it's going. I'm only the, about thirty percent, forty percent in, but really good and really interesting. So I think if you're into tech, I think if you're into uh, a lot of the stuff that we talk about, you might be into that book. I have another recommendation for that. Sure. Along those lines, there's a uh, a book called uh, Damon, and the, the follow up was Freedom. There, uh, it's a it's basically one story, two books, and the story was too big for one. Um, and it follows a guy who is a genius, creates a uh, augmented reality type of functions. Um, but he died. He's a gaming gaming guy. He dies, and then all all of his demons that he had infected the world with woke up on the announcement of his death and started. Uh, interjecting itself into the politics and change the whole landscape. It's, it's a great story. Um, really well written to the point that it's so close to being real, uh, that CIA people approached him and asked him to kind of, you know, answer some questions and help him out wow. for, uh, what they think some of the fears that they have are on a up book of his is called kill decision, which is about the autonomous killing of, people with drones like letting the drones make the decision hmm. who makes the kill decision it's a great another great story that he has he, he's really uh leading near tech 
uh, writer. He's very, very cool. What, was, what were those again? Uh, Damon, which is D-A-E-M-O-N, like mm-hmm. a computer Damon, and Freedom, uh, which is the follow-up book to it. And then the other book is uh, Kill Switch, and for some reason I cannot remember his name. I'll look it up. Just, uh, can you we'll send, get it on send, Loki great, he's a great author. author. Send oh. me those for the show notes. <laughs> okay. Um, watching Roseanne. I haven't watched network TV in forever. I feel like I'm reverting to my childhood in the 90s reading fiction and watching Roseanne. Is, but, it, uh, is it good? Because I just I don't think I can bring myself to it. It is. It uh, And I, have, I just don't watch a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I watched it for the nostalgia. And the first episode was really rusty. They were real rusty. Uh, but last night, this week's episode, I thought was really good and really kind of touching. And, uh, yeah, I like it. Um, but yeah, the, I, I really like the Dan Brown book. I don't know that I'll get into fiction because it's just like, it's, you know, I read a hundred pages last night and it was just like, get to it. <laughs> just <laughs> like quit. Te- you're teasing this for 80 pages. Get to it. Uh, so uh, I don't know. I'll probably stick with nonfiction, but it's nice to take a break and escape oh, yeah. into a world. So. All right, that's enough of this. Uh, I have to kick these people out of my house. And uh, until then, hopefully we'll see you tomorrow night. If not, we will see you on Tuesday. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Are Libertarians. I'm amazed you made it to the very end, and I appreciate that. And that means that you were a true fan of We Are Libertarians, and any true fan of We Are Libertarians should listen to our other podcasts. We have a whole network of shows. We have The Chris Spangle Show, where I talk about many of my varied interests that aren't political, a lot of podcasting talk. If you're interested in getting involved in podcasting, The Brian Nichols Show. Brian talks to a lot of different folks from the left, the right, the center, libertarian movement. If you love We Are Libertarians, you will love The Brian Nichols Show. The Boss Hog of Liberty. The Boss Hog has basically created a media empire in his small town and has taken over along with his co-host Dakota Davis. I think it's really interesting to see how they've built a media network and I encourage you to do the same. Upward Political Training, it's a podcast where I've put a lot of training for libertarians on how to spread the message. The Cost, this is a podcast where we break down the human costs of government policy, so be sure to check that out. Raw Audio Politics, where basically I take unedited speeches and interviews and stuff that I want to listen to, and I put it in a podcast feed for you. Miranda's World, Miranda is one of the craziest human beings in a good way that I've ever met. She's so entertaining and so much fun, and I think you will love that. And who could not listen to Tad Talk? Tad Western brings you the rootness, tootness, good time this side of the Mississippi. So be sure to check that out. He's one of the funniest human beings that I know. And if you are chubby and you need to get in shape, then you can't outrun the fork with Brett Bittner, where he talks about keto. Yes, I gave Brett Bittner a show. And you can check out a bunch of other podcasts at libertarianpodcasts.com. I have put together all of my favorite libertarian podcasts up there at libertarianpodcast.com, including our friends Lions of Liberty, The Lava Flow, The Johnny Rocket Launchpad, uh, The Scott Horton Show is one that I definitely think you should be listening to. So go check that out. Lots of great libertarian podcasts out there. You may not know where to start. Start there. And we've also got a comprehensive list of all the libertarian podcasts I can find. Thank you for listening. And if you love We Are Libertarians, please check out all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at wearelibertarians.com.